So another major finding of the survey is just how fucking useless religious leaders are. I mean, to the extent that religious leaders have brought up the vaccine, they've mostly endorsed it. So why aren't their congregants listening to them? One of the main justifications religious apologists use for religion's existence is that it can help guide communities. But if the leadership is impotent, what good can it really do in that regard? Now, now let me be clear here, because the term leader gets used in two distinct ways, and it's important to make that distinction. right? So the atheist movement has leaders, too, but only in the sense that there are people who speak on behalf of atheism. Like the extent to which I'm a leader in the atheist community is exactly commensurate with the extent to which I put voice to your thoughts. Right? Atheist leaders aren't really leaders so much as advocates. If I started pushing you this way or that, you'd be way more likely to give up on me and move to somebody who better aligned with your opinions than to change your opinions. Now, religious leaders don't serve the same function. I mean, in a sense, they do, or sometimes they do, especially in minority communities. And honestly, when they're doing that, I have no issue with them at all. But religious leaders are also supposed to function as teachers and guides. Like, you know, imagine how useless education would be if students had the option to just go to whatever teacher's lessons aligned with the shit they already knew. Right. So if you want to accuse me of holding them to a different standard than I hold us to, fair, guilty as fucking charged. But the teacher and the class president, they might both be leaders, but they should be held to different standards. And obviously, this role as teacher and guide isn't something that I'm tossing into their wagon. It's the very justification for their goddamn existence. It's the reason they have special tax deferments and legal privileges. It's the reason they've been forgiven from the general obligation of providing something beneficial for society. It's the reason terms like reverend, father, and rabbi are afforded social respect. So to whatever extent they're failing to move their congregations towards vaccination, they're failing to do their fucking jobs. And this survey, far from defending them, actually shows that even when they try, they fail. I I mean, look, if your employee's not getting his job done because he's napping in the break room, that's a problem you can fix by keeping a closer eye on him. If he's not getting his job done despite being at his desk and working hard at it, that motherfucker is hopeless. They're talking about your Jesus. Interrupt this broadcast and bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the mozzarella and cheddar to my Monterey Jack Heath, Ed Wright, and Eli Bosnick. Fellas. Are you ready? To uh, I call Cheddar. I call Dom Cheddar. That's me. Oh, okay, okay. I'll take this deal, but it better be Gouda. Uh, wow. All right. Well, if he's cheese, we have to wait until later for the headline. So we're going to pause <laughs> for a word from this week's first sponsor, Zip Recruiter. Can't believe I let you talk me into coming to another restaurant. I have hot pockets just wasting away in the freezer at home. I mean, isn't the point that they stay frozen? Isn't that you like don't the whole... you don't know they ripen, Eli? I don't think they ripen. Good evening, they're... gentlemen. Welcome to Spindle. Is this your first time at the restaurant? Yes. And last, yes. Fantastic. So for you, the steak and kidney pie. And for you, Swedish fish in a sticky syrup sauce. Oh, uh, sorry. I, I actually, I can't eat this. Yeah, I also can't eat this, but like I wouldn't even if I could. Well, I'm sorry, gentlemen. You do not get to choose. What do you think this is? Zip Recruiter? What's... ZipRecruiter.com. Oh, that's the smartest way to hire. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send you the most qualified people for your job. Then you can easily review the candidates and invite your top choices to apply for the job. Wait, so it's hiring, but I get to invite my top candidates to apply? That's right. In fact, according to ZipRecruiter internal data, jobs where employers use ZipRecruiter's invite to apply get, on average, two and a half times more candidates, which helps make for a faster hiring process. Wow, that sounds fast and easy. Where do I sign up? Just go to the exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash 
S-C-A-T-H-I-N-G to try ZipRecruiter for free and you can see for yourself. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Awesome. Uh, now, any chance you have a, a hot pocket back there? We do. It just ripened, actually. Nice. Wow. Okay. I stand corrected. And now, back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, the Vatican announced that the late Pope John Paul I is going to get beatified, which means he's well on his way to becoming a saint. This is actually step two. Step one is being a good person in the actual living time dimension. <laughs> and that's not even the whole step one. You can also be a terrible person, but also die heroically as a martyr. Or you can be a terrible person and then do a big switcheroo at the last second. If it's big enough, that's cool, too. But you have to be a good person for at least a few minutes, something like that. Now, that step one is the easy part because... You know, it's real. Right. It's a real thing. Uh -huh. After yeah. that, you got to do a bunch of paperwork as a dead person to prove you did two different ghost miracles. And apparently John Paul I is done with one of those two. He's getting beatified for dying in 1978 and then healing a little girl from Argentina in 2011. Okay, I, I'm not all that familiar with his exploits, but from what I know of the Catholic Church leadership and... 1978. I feel like the dying part was actually the more altruistic of those two moves. <laughs> yeah. Modern beatification is the weirdest fucking thing. Okay, really, we're hopping on FaceTime to ask a little girl if her miraculous healing <laughs> felt John Paul the firsty. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just want to add kind of a dick move to sit there as a ghost for 33 years, not healing sick children. Thank you. Yeah, that is weird, but. That's what happened. I, I guess you don't have to keep being virtuous after you die, just the, the two miracles thing once you're dead. So here's what happened with the little girl. She was almost dead from a bunch of long medicine words, and that's when her <laughs> parents started praying for help from <laughs> very specifically John Paul I, I guess. Mm -hmm. And right after that, she got better. Okay, but Heath, was there... No, no, there was no other praying. Don't be a dick. No other praying. It was just John Paul I. So she got examined by Vatican doctors. <laughs> Apparently that's a thing. And the only explanation was the ghost of a dead pope begrudgingly using his healing magic after 33 years kind of in a snit about it. Like, oh, well, fun. I'm sorry. The Vatican has their own doctors for for lying, right? Yes. I mean, at best... It's for this kind of thing, but it's mostly the kid fucking kind of lying that you need your own doctors oh, wow. for, right? Probably. <sighs> Probably accurate. You just use normal doctors if it wasn't for the lying. Yep. Also, just for the record, John Paul I was the Pope for exactly 33 days in 1978 before he died, kind of suddenly. That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> two things. First of all, really weird that those parents would pray specifically for the guy with barely any work experience to help him out. Right. Like, you, you wouldn't pray to William Henry Harrison for help with presidential stuff if you're picking the dead president. But more importantly, if you're the Pope in 1978, you were definitely hiding so much goddamn sexual abuse. Like, statistically, did the math on this, even in just 33 days, you were running the show while approximately, let me just check my notes, H majillion pedophile crimes happen. Yep, that's, that does come out to that. Yeah. That's the number I have. And that guy is getting beatified. 
Okay, well, you did say that he could die in battle, Heath. Maybe he got killed by a particularly resilient child, one that knew karate. I wish that was what happened. <laughs> yeah. One other detail. Apparently, the Vatican's been trying to get John Paul I sainted for a while now. According to the New York Times, his canonization began in 2003, but languished because of the difficulties in collecting evidence and documents. And I think this is my favorite part. There's a dedicated team at the Vatican for the sainthood process. Mm -hmm. And for the last 18 years, they've been trying to make up a lie unsuccessfully. They couldn't make up a lie for that time. But then they finally got lucky with God almost killing a little girl in Argentina and then letting John Paul I save her at the last second. So it all worked out for them. Yeah, that's so... Sh I, I want to know what the rejected miracles were, <laughs> right? Like they're just sitting around in the fucking Vatican and one guy goes, okay, 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 but this one is zingier than mayonnaise, though. <laughs> Don't those fucking count, Ed. Ed's like, I don't know why you guys are saying it doesn't count. It worked with Thomas Aquinas. I hate seeing the new guy. <laughs> Dave, come here. Taste this. Tell me there's not Dave, like a little bit of a zing. Like, almost a like a mustard. <laughs> Stone ground. And in the Powell of Persuasion news, Aww. we don't like to spill personal drama here on the podcast, especially when it comes to intercompany conflict. But as many of you have probably learned by now, our employee of the month, eight months in a row, who was well on his way to his own race car bed, Matt Powell has resigned from Puzzle in a Thunderstorm LLC without notice to go work for Kent Hovind. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure we had a non-compete clause in there. Absolutely. But it's tricky because compete means saying things that are stupid. Yeah. That's what it means for <laughs> our job that we're It's hard to enforce that as what I'm saying. Legally, I don't know <laughs> how we're going to make the argument. Okay. So for those of you who are new, might not have heard of Matt Powell. First of all, welcome. I'm Eli. I'm kind of the lovable scamp of the podcast. Oh, so we're keeping that bit, but we're losing the part where I'm the smart one. That's fine. Well, actually, I, you know, I had a quick, sorry, it's quick answer. I like but Matt Powell, an anyway, adjective about me now. Matt Powell is, <laughs> Morgan, could you insert 25 minutes of silence? <laughs> <laughs> Just to full. There. But Matt Powell is a 25-year-old creationism YouTuber and slur-using whiz kid who specializes in reading science article headlines out of context and then pretending he's debunked evolution's existence. That was his job, at least till last year, when he used clips of our podcast without permission, and since then, he's been our much-beloved indentured servant, serving his term of eight terrible Christian videos a month in perpetuity. Yeah, so, like, his main contribution to apologetics thus far has been to, like, read stuff in his I'm a stupid guy voice and then dismiss him because of what a stupid guy voice he was using when he said that. <laughs> That's me. I sound like that. I yeah. Sound. yeah. <laughs> Yes, in further proof of what boomers offering seven twenty-five an hour have been saying for almost a year now, kids these days have no work ethic <laughs> or loyalty. <laughs> and we learned that from Kent Hovind's YouTube channel, where Matt introduced himself as their new IT director for what? creation science evangelism. <laughs> yeah, a lot of questions. Circle the ones that don't belong. It's all right. the words. It's all those words. <laughs> and... And it's not just that. This is the one that hurt the most. He's also going to be personal assistant to Kent Hovind. Did you want more one-on-one -on -one time, Matt? We could have done that. We would have taken you to Six Flags. We would have taken you to any Six Flags. How about, how about an executive parking space for your race car bed? Hello? <laughs> we could have given you that. Absolutely. I do get it, though. Once Kent Hovind wins 
$536 billion from the U.S. government <laughs> for the emotional damage of the taxes he didn't pay. Sure. After that, yeah. you know, Matt's going to get paid super well, I would imagine. And just for the record, that lawsuit, in case you missed it, it got thrown out again for like the 19th time last month. Mm-hmm. That lawsuit is claiming $11 million for false imprisonment. That's part of the total. And $11 million over his time imprisoned is $3,500 per day. That's according to Kent Hovind. So, uh, Kent, I know you're listening. We will happily pay $4,000 to imprison you for one day. We will do that. That's 14% point something above asking. Let's do it. Hey, well, for what I'm paying in childcare, the Squid Games are looking good, Kent. Jump on this thing, buddy. Eli, you feel like you would do well in the Squid Games? Those would go well for you. In your I head? could, the marbles, I might do whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. Maybe. I'm not having this fight on air. Hey, look. <laughs> I just want to wrap this up by saying that I can't help but think that all of this farad, that's the facade of a charade, mm-hmm. are due to Heath's behavior at the Christmas party this year. And Matt, he no, really was mm. just showing you he could fit his fist in his mouth. Thank you. You're the one who took it in a sexual way, Matt. That's on you. That was you, Matt. Okay, but I feel like it was mostly the now let me do yours part that freaked him out, though. Okay, I was just <laughs> checking if we each had cancer. That that's was the, free. That's, that's the test. Free screening. We're helping. Anyways, if you're not going to rejoin the company and you continue working for Kent Hovind, I'm not sure why you would do that, bring some pads. Rumor has it he gets a little judo-y after a Bud Light or two. So, you know, best of luck, Bud. Also, uh, maybe just grow a beard, Matt. You'll, you'll absorb 40% of every single punch <laughs> from Kent when there's too many Bud Lights. That's basic evolution. Everybody knows that. Uh, I would pay $4,000 to watch him try to grow a beard, honestly. <laughs> just check in every day. <laughs> Hell in the cell with Kent and him. I mean, we can make this work. Oh, hell yeah, now. And then go bigot or go home news tonight. North Carolina's Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson is a homophobic, transphobic piece of shit who can and should go fuck himself, which means prominent Christians are just lining up to sing his praises. The controversy about him began when Robinson was bigoting at the Asbury Baptist Church in Seagrove, North Carolina, and referred to the LGBTQ community as filth. Right Wing Watch saw to it that the video of the hate speech went viral, and that led to pretty much every right-thinking, ethical human being to condemn him and call for his resignation. Correct thinking. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the opposite of those did the opposite of that. Sure did. You guys remember when you announced your candidacy by showing up to shake hands at, like, a hot dog stand in the Rust Belt (laughs) instead of yelling a slur? They were simpler times, my friends. They were simpler times. I mean... You could try that hot dog thing in the Rust Belt, but someone's going to yell a slur at some point somewhere near that That's uh, recording device. Don't do it live. You'll have a lot of retakes if you're trying <laughs> to get rid of slurs. So, okay, so let's start with second-generation evangelical homophobe and weirdly cube-shaped human Franklin Graham. He started off by pointing out that Robinson made those comments privately <laughs> on camera. But the during a church event. You made it worse, man. Right? You, see, you see how that's worse, right? Yeah. Well, and then, like any earnest defender of another's actions, he blatantly lied about what Robinson did. So, to be clear, Robinson said, quote, there's no reason anybody anywhere in America should be telling any child about transgenderism, homosexuality, or any of that filth. End quote. And he doubled down on the use of the word filth both in the next sentence and in a statement after the clip went viral. But that didn't stop Graham from falsely clarifying that he never compared gay and trans people to filth, but rather, quote, he called these topics being pushed on students filth, end quote. Nope. 
that is, of course, both wrong and irrelevant. So it's actually kind of an impressive bit of bullshit. I just heard the quote, the words in it. Frankie, Frankie, if you're going to straight up lie to your listener base of dead-eyed ghouls, just lie bigger. Right, right. Oh, he was ordering a Big Mac at McDonald's. Mark Robinson doesn't exist. You can't see me because my eyes are closed. You don't need to work on the minutiae, bud. That day doesn't even exist. Wrinkle in time. Jewish hoax and a circle back to the big yeah, thing. Yeah, that'll okay. get you. That'll get you. But Graham was far from alone in his praise for Robinson's disgusting remarks. We got a much more direct and robust endorsement from bigoted even for a pastor, Pastor Bishop Patrick Wooden. I don't think we've actually talked about him on the show before, and that's odd since he's the guy that said gay men have to wear diapers to keep all the baseball bats and animals they routinely insert in their anuses in place. Wow. We haven't talked about that guy? I don't think so. This is our Iraqi helicopter. Right? I am deeply ashamed. <laughs> we should have done better. All right. But anyway, so he posted a video on YouTube last week dismissing criticisms of Robinson as racist since he's both black and being criticized. So, yes, he opened up with the no you are defense. <laughs> and then after establishing that the real racists are white leftists, he adds, quote, the lieutenant governor is standing. He's all man. I thank God for him. I thank God for him. And I agree with him 100 percent, end quote. Check out my Ed Hardy shirt. It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> so just to be clear, the scale of how vile the thing you said was is the percent to which Patrick Wooden agrees with it. So congratulations yep. on scoring all the way up there, Robinson. And on that note, we're going to pause for a word from our second sponsor this week, Movement. Welcome to Typical Watch Buying Experience. Do you want to watch or are you just looking for the bathroom and you're lost? Oh, um, I, I'm looking for a watch, I guess. Oh, fantastic. So you look like you'd be interested in the Trejo Collection by Danny Trejo. They're just $950 for the Diamond Platinum Diamond Gold model. Okay, that just seems like an odd celebrity endorsement. Not really sure why that's a thing with watches and Danny Trejo. Anyway, do you have something stylish that won't break the bank? Oh, you want something from Movement Watches. Oh, what's Movement Watches? Movement watches have the look and quality of a $400 to $500 watch you're paying for at the department store, but cost a fraction of the price because they were built online and own their process from start to finish. You get a beautiful watch shipped right to your door for free. And if you don't love it, you can ship it right back for free. Wow, that sounds way better than whatever this is. Oh, it is. If you want to elevate your look with style that doesn't break the bank, then join the movement and get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash scathing. That's mvmt.com slash scathing. All right. I'm going to do that. Thanks. Are you sure I can't interest you in our Polly Shore collection? The hands on the watch are made of the eyelashes of a sheep. No, no. Why would anyone want that? Who are the people buying these? I have no idea. Okay. And we're back. Next up in headlines in Halloweeny news, <laughs> we have a story about Tennessee pastor Greg <laughs> Locke, and it's a spooky Halloween story. Oh, nice. Would you call it a spooktacular Halloween story? Sure, Eli. I'm Aww. feeling charitable for that. Oh, I am coming. There you go. Eli's coming. Cool. <laughs> so... Apparently, Halloween is a major existential threat to Christianity. So Greg Locke gave a sermon explaining why everyone needs to avoid the holiday. According to Gilo, the origin of jack-o'-lanterns and the origin of the phrase trick-or-treat come from the long history of 
Satan-worshipping parents sacrificing their virgin daughters to be sexually assaulted by literal demons. Quick Google, just wanted to check that, and uh, nope, none of that. Nope. It's none of that. <laughs> none of God that. Still somehow his entire sermon. Oh, I'm just amazed that he didn't think jack-o'-lanterns were originated with a pumpkin full of cum, so, you know, good on him. <laughs> so, nothing better encapsulates the futile stupidity of modern Christianity like their ability to be afraid of their own goddamn holiday. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. So here's what we heard last week. Locke started by saying, you study if I'm not telling you the truth. <laughs> and what? that's not. We did. That's not how <laughs> if works. Also. Yeah, right. <laughs> that too. And then he got into the origin of trick or treat. He said, quote, parents would have to give one of their children over to a demonic sacrificial system. Or the treat was their virgin daughter to be raped by demons. What? And from there, he explained hey. how the jack-o'-lantern started. Quote, that mess is a reality in the witchcraft world. And they know, and they don't want us exposing it. But la-di-da, da. Sick, he put an extra da <laughs> in the phrase la-di-da, because he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. But la-di-da-da, the cat's out the bag now, Jack. So... Here's what would happen. You would either give your child or you would give your virgin daughter. Not how or works, man. It, like, Jesus. He, he shouldn't even be allowed to use nouns and verbs at this point. You, can't, <laughs> no. if you, you learn to do fucking conjunctions and then you get all the other type of words. <laughs> I'll tell you what. One correct version of la-di-da. <laughs> you can use nouns and... Deedly da la di No. Shit. Wow. Okay. Just continuing one more time. You would either give your child or you would give your virgin daughter. And you know what the druids would do in return? They'd place a pumpkin on your porch with the face of a demon on it. And if you obeyed the sacrificial satanic system, they'd put a light inside of it so the demon would pass your house. If you didn't give them the treat, the demon on you would play the trick. Oh. And that's where they got the phrase trick or treat. End exact quote. Okay, struggle of getting through that sentence aside. <laughs> the demons the need demon a... on you, Yoda, <laughs> object or whomst. All that aside, the demons need a pumpkin-based signal system? Yeah. Actually, you know what? I just remember this guy believes in a god who needed a far creepier ram's blood-based system yes, when did. killing the firstborns of Egypt. So withdrawn, withdrawn. Okay, but those are two contradictory origins for the same fuck oh shit that's in the bible too never mind i get it yeah. okay i get it, it yeah that's how we get there. you know what greg you're on the book you're on you're you are textually accurate yeah so if you're wondering did greg Locke just get confused during his own lie about whether a demon raping a child would be a trick or a treat yes he did that too. he thought he it did. was one and then he thought it was the other because he's insane and if you're wondering whether Sacrificing your daughter to be sexually assaulted to appease supernatural beings is actually a Bible story. Yes, it is. Oh, actually, That's in yeah. the Bible. Mm -hmm. And if you're wondering if Greg Locke is a grown man who's clearly terrified of Halloween scary stuff, so he made up a giant lie to get everyone else to stop being part of it. Yes, he did. That's what happened. <laughs> and the best lie he could come up with was... Kids getting raped by demons. A lie can be about anything, man. You went straight to that? What the fuck is wrong with you? Halloween doesn't exist. Wrinkle in time. Yeah. Jesus. Greg, did you walk past one of those movement-activated skeletons at Spirit Halloween and shit yourself last year? Yes. You can tell us, Greg. I did. 
And in one million momsters news, if you've been listening to our show for a while, you know two things. Keith's the tall one, and the latest boogeyman of Christian oh, nutbags awesome. is Fun. critical. Sorry, it's a three-beat. Had no, to go for the three-beat. Three, yeah. You didn't change it, though. Cool. <laughs> thought you might do something new. Is, I'm not coming right now. Yeah. I stopped. The latest boogeyman of Christian nutbags is critical race theory, an academic lens through which scholars can examine American history, society, and institutions of power, including government and legal systems, from a race-based perspective. Or, as Christians would put it, turning your kids gay by canceling Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. Well, luckily, that battle against critical race theory is finally behind us because none other then show favorite geriatric hentai background extra cat care has sent an army of one million angels to stop critical race theory in schools. I'm just picturing these angels doing that job to get in there and they're like, guys, I don't know. I just heard that. I think there's a mass shooting in the cafeteria of this same school. Maybe we like split up and do angel stuff. There. <laughs> cat said one yep. million of us. This is serious. <laughs> I love, I love Eli's implication there that kind of flew under the radar of the tall joke that people who aren't listening to this show might have missed the whole CRT kerfuffle. It's a good thing you guys have yeah. us, you know, <laughs> tune you in on this shit. If they're lucky, if they're lucky. You're welcome. So, appearing, as usual, on Steve Schultz's YouTube program, Elijah List, Miss Care had this to say, quote, This morning, I sent a million of them because this is about children and the whole woke thing and all of the critical whatever stuff. <laughs> Wow. Nailing it, Miss Care. Nailing it. <laughs> I very specifically commanded the army to shut the mouth of every person trying to be involved in that situation. Pull down and shred platforms that would empower wicked people to do <laughs> wicked things. End quote. Angels just smashing down the door of kindergarten rooms. The Afro pessimist view of our economic modality doesn't actually. No, okay. It's just crayons again. Okay. <laughs> Thought the kindergarten was talking about Afro pessimism. Right? Uh, again, no. Do we really need a million of us? Oh, so many. I, I love the idea that there's a million angels just standing there after she leaves going, guys, what the fuck did any of that mean? We're going to shut the mouths of the people involved in the critical whatever stuff. We're going to pull down the platforms that would empower wicked people to do that would include on ramps. What the fuck is she talking about? Yeah. We should teach some Afro pessimism. Maybe not kindergarten, but yeah. Teach it. Now, I know what you're thinking. Eli, I'm having a little bit of trouble picturing that. Well, no worries. She included, quote, if you picture yourself standing as like, a general in front of a real military, you could walk up there and say, okay, y'all just go here and go do that, and y'all go over here and do that. They need orders. Well, you know what? Heaven's army is the same. End quote. Is that how she thinks generalship works? <laughs> it's like a lineup meeting at Applebee's or something. <laughs> how many... The military's not small. Is she picturing our generals being like, no, nah, I know it's confusing who I'm pointing at. Like 101st. Are there 101st of you? Dave, I'm going to need you to go to the left. Let's count off again. Let's count off. One, two. All right. So now that we understand how Heaven's Army works, you know, according to StarCraft rules, we have a pretty decent heads up (laughs) if any history teacher finds themselves involuntary shut up by an army of angels doing a Zerg rush. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Cat Care. Good looking out. 
Also, before anyone emails me, I know Zerg Rush's old tactics, but nobody would have gotten a Phoenix opening reference, so leave me alone. No, right, you wouldn't have wanted a reference nobody got, yeah. Good clarification. Now I understand <laughs> what you're talking about. One guy is going to be like, fuck yeah! And he's going to be fucking South Korean, but yeah. And finally tonight, in the Devil's Own Jab News. Fantastic. Thank you. We have a nugget of good news to wrap this segment up on for a change, and it involves a lawsuit filed by a group of Christian healthcare workers in Maine who claim that the state's vaccine mandate is tantamount to Christian persecution. And also a judge who told them how hard that lawsuit could go fuck itself. <laughs> Love this judge. Yeah, the, the lawsuit claimed that their religious beliefs didn't allow them to take a vaccine developed using fetal cell lines, and the policy that forced them to do so was motivated by religious animus. And the judge decided to show them what real animus looked like for future reference, apparently. <laughs> All right, cool. So as long as none of you have any other vaccines, we are good. Oh, y'all got quiet. Why'd y'all get real quiet? Mm-hmm. Nothing? Hmm. You guys hear that? No, nothing. Cool. So you guys know how I'm building a time machine just to go get George Orwell so we can side tackle libertarian idiots who quote him out of context? I do. Yeah. I'm making a stop to get FDR with his cane yeah. to do it with these people. <laughs> right. So to be clear here, this is about a statewide mandate, not a specific policy of one particular hospital or something. The state of Maine requires healthcare workers to be vaccinated for certain diseases, and that's been the case for decades. Because even people without the sense to move the fuck out of Maine realize that vaccination should be a prerequisite to, you know, working in the extremely vulnerable to disease people industry. Yeah. Now, the state used to allow for exemptions for medical, religious, and philosophical reasons, but they ended those last two practices in 2019 because it turns out the deadly pathogens don't give a fuck what religion or philosophical bent you have. And this was actually decided through a statewide referendum that was approved by 72% of the state's voters. But despite the fact that this happened in 2019 and through a public vote, the plaintiffs in the lawsuit claimed it was done despite Christians who don't want to take the COVID vaccine. Okay, and to be fair, it turned out to be that, but just because you guys suck ass, right? Bestiality laws aren't unfairly targeted at me because I'm the only guy in town trying to fuck a horse. Right. I learned that the hard way. Yes, and pass. (laughs) (laughs) I have no introduction here. Moving on. Now, the judge's ruling on this one is goddamn delightful. It's 40-plus pages of fuck you written in legalese. The judge, who's an Obama appointee by the name of John Levy, was absolutely scathing in his dismissal, pointing out that even if he accepted the idea that vaccine requirements are a violation of religious freedom, which he doesn't, it's not like the state owes them a fucking job. Right? Like, if your religion requires you to not work in a hospital... You're all the way allowed not to work in a fucking hospital. Yeah. He also points out that they never seem to have any issue with all those other vaccines they were required to take in the pre-COVID years, even the ones that were developed using fetal cell lines. And as Conway Regional Health System in Arkansas reminded us recently, if they're consistent about their feelings on medicines developed using said lines, they're going to have a lot of trouble finding a suitable ointment for all the various burns in Levy's decision. (laughs) Hell yeah, they are. If religion doesn't let you in public... I'm super good with that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. Be pious, man. Right? Stay in your closet. It says so in the Bible. Yeah. And with the knowledge that at least some people in power still at least have some sanity, we're going to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Jumanji. And when we come back, we'll remember that we were reading a David Icke book and we'll be really sad about it. Oh, God. Hey, podcast listener. Do you have an Eli on your team? 
Yeah, you know, a guy who sends emails to your customers who just should not be doing that. To whomst it may concernify. Yeah, stuff like that. Well, don't worry, you're not alone. Every year, U.S. businesses waste over $400 billion. That's $400 billion because bad writing causes confusion, misses the mark, or just takes too long to get to the point. In the end, at the point of things, it's neither here nor there because we have to ask ourselves, and by extension, everyone else, including us, and we, how are you? WordTune is an incredible AI writing service that helps you write better and more clearly wherever you write online. It's like having an editor sitting by your side all day long. Sorry, uh, no, what's the word for swim guys again? Swim guys? Fish? Fish, yes. Thank you. Yikes. WordTune improves writing efficiency up to four times. Better, faster writing means better business. And WordTune improves performance on any project. Everything from internal emails to press releases, sales outreach to customer service support, and so much more. You can use WordTune anywhere you're writing online, including Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, and WhatsApp. Oh, dang it. I posted a list of my medical symptoms on Patreon again, guys. Again? Yeah. Really? It's a paid post. And right now, our listeners can get 50% off WordTune for teams at wordtune.com slash scathing. If you want to see the benefits of WordTune, you can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash scathing. But this 50% discount is only available for a limited time and only available for teams. You might never see a discount like this again. Your team can start writing better right away with 50% off. That's half price at wordtune.com slash scathing. WordTune, because everyone has an Eli, but WordTune can help hide that a little bit better. The end. No, you don't have to say the end when you're writing, man. Oh, okay. The end. Nope. You know, there's a certain amount of rhetorical power that comes with reading holy books. The ability to honestly say, well, actually, I have read the Bible or the Quran or the Book of Mormon is a fringe benefit that, while never making reading them quite worthwhile, at least softened the blistering stupidity we had to suffer through to finish them. But no advantage, no matter how fleeting, will ever come from us reading David Icke's Everything You Need to Know But We're Never Told on this installment of God Awful Books. I've actually had an argument with somebody who's read this book. And oh, I was wow. Like, yeah, I'm reading it, too. Oh, Go wow. fuck yourself. Okay, all right. Well, that's, just, that's the way to, way to negate my entire intro. I know who you had the argument with. <laughs> now, when we last left off, David Icke was explaining... You know, it doesn't fucking matter. I didn't even read the first half of this chapter. It doesn't fucking matter. David Icke was babbling about some incoherent mushroom thoughts, and we're going to rejoin him still muttering about the goddamn Matrix. Actually, the subheading that we're going to start off with is called Agent Smith Archons. (laughs) There we go. I hope you're enjoying my book about real physics. I'm Neo. I know Kung Fu. That's how we start here. Mm -hmm. And then he says, whenever I read the Nag Hammadi texts, I think about Demiurge. To be clear, Demiurge is the lion-faced serpent who is also Jewish God, according to David Icke. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and as we all know, Jewish God is the architect and his Jewish demons are Agent Smith. That's really what he says. Yeah, so he explains Archon, that's a formless energetic state of being that reflects the Demiurge original. Uh, in case you were confused as to what we were talking about. <laughs> also, it's rich people, the 1%, though I feel like those people are are formful, I'm confused. I, I think they have forms. I don't know <laughs> what the fuck. Okay, but you know if tomorrow Elon Musk shed his physical form, some asshole on Twitter would be like, oh, it's because he's willing to hustle, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So apparently the evil architect is infecting our energetic balance by distorting reality like a computer virus. Mm. And then he's like, well, am I not being clear? Figure 93 should help. So figure 93, picture a serpent inside a computer and it's shooting out bad circle stuff like sad faces and dollar signs and literally the star of David. Yep. Seriously. <laughs> also, Demiurge is using aliens. Uh, I'll explain that later. <laughs> and globalist demons. I'll explain that now. They're Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> Jewish people. Yeah, but so the key here apparently is that archons, the demon, Jew demons, I guess, are jealous of our awesome creativity. Yeah, the demons are jealous of humans because we can create new stuff. So they tricked us into building our own prison. And this has become really obvious later. Sorry, I'm really bad at writing. I promise to get better. I'll, I'll fix it. I'll <laughs> yeah. By the end of he this book, so many times. Nailed this. The Archons are apparently also trying to get us to trap ourselves in a prison of our own design by creating a prison of our own design and then trapping <laughs> us in it. I don't... That's, I, there's VR involved. <laughs> Okay, it took him four pages to say it, but I can summarize this entire heading as, that's how they get you. Yep, <laughs> that is how they get you. Also, at the very end of this section, we get another excellent attempt at one of David Icke's visual aids slash memes here. It's it's obviously made in one of those like shitty online meme makers, and it's Colonel Sanders' guy that everybody hated from The Matrix, and the top text says, the architect, and the bottom text says, Architect of the Matrix. Yes. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. And then we get the intriguing heading Vampire Gods. So much less cool than what you're picturing. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the Archons, uh, which are elites or devils or Jews or whatever you need them to be during that sentence, are after our energy, but they don't need just any energy. It has to be the right frequencies. <laughs> and. And apparently they need, they like hate frequencies and sadness frequencies. Okay, guys, you're probably wondering about how the demons generate electricity. Great question. Um, They get it from humans. And yes, demons have a band they need. <laughs> Their frequency band is the chaos, hate, fear, etc. band. Yep. Just <laughs> that. So and, and it's also, it's further demonstrated in figure 94, which seems to show up a, a chud vomiting on a scrap. Book. <laughs> the demons do some scrapbooking here. That's correct. Apparently, they lay out little photos of babies crying, and they suck up the hate fumes and, mm -hmm. and the fear fumes and the etc. fumes. I guess. You gotta get those etc. fumes. <laughs> See, I th I thought the demons were doing lines of Polaroids of crying babies off the sand table at the children's museum. Okay, That's well, what I got the, out the, of the, the picture is open to interpretation. So. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just a reminder, this is all Jewish God's fault. Who started all the wars? Literally Jewish God. Not exaggerating, yep. he says that. Mm -hmm. They need a bunch of war to create fear so that babies are really sad in photos and the demons can, you know, huff the sad baby fumes in the attest <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, it's a good thing that he's revealing this worldwide conspiracy of demons and pedophiles and murderers to us. Otherwise, people might be frightened and feed the demon. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, if you don't believe David Icke, maybe you've heard of an intellectual luminary named Rudolf Steiner. He was an expert on educational philosophy and also apparently energy vampires. Mm -hmm. Dave's going to focus on the energy vampires thing. Steiner <laughs> said there's energy vampires, I guess. Same thing. He, yep. he agrees with David Icke.
There you go. And since nonsense can't really progress, he offers up the illusion of movement with another subheading. This time it's body and soul. Ooh. So he goes back to the Adam and Eve story to explain that Adam was perfect, too perfect, actually, as it turned out. So the Demiurge copied him again and again until, like, the holes in the A and the D got inked in by the fax machines eventually. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> turns out Adam and the Demiurge are both androgynous, according to Ike. So... I mean, I'm just waiting for them to call out Billy Porter. Do we hear that? No. That's what I'm saying. Okay. It seems like David Icke managed to not be a transphobic bigot here, but I think he just doesn't know what that would mean. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, if he wasn't so ignorant, he'd be more of a bigot, which is not a good sign. If you think about that sentence. I also, I love this little bit where he's like, okay, don't trust your senses. That's very, except the ones that are reading this book. Fuck. I did it. Ah, damn it. And now. And now, yeah, just like David Icke's been saying forever, by the way, the Gnostics also thought our bodies are a trap and so is ignorance. And no, he did not hear it. But <laughs> no, he did not. The body is a big prison, too, not just the ignorance. And that's because we're all focused on the tiny frequency band of the five senses that our body traps us in. Just to review, the frequency bands we know about right now are sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch, Chaos, hate, fear, and, of course, et cetera. Et cetera. Can't forget et cetera. Yeah, that's a big problem. Right after that, very next thought from David Icke. Ignorance about reality leads to fear, anxiety, psychopathy, and depression. And, no, he didn't hear that either. Nope. He didn't hear it. <laughs> so, yeah, but everything is random, incoherent bullshit, except the very clear explanation that you and everything you know are crappy and terrible, and you need David Icke's wisdom to experience true beauty. Right. Weird how that one cult prerequisite of a point is the only thing clearly spelled out in this book so far. <laughs> David Icke's just like, word salad, word salad, word salad, word salad, buy my DVDs, word yeah, salad, right, word yeah. salad. And then we tackle the all-important question of how I know that the intangible, unmeasurable, unobservable, half-defined essence of my being is the real intangible, unmeasurable, unobservable, half-defined <laughs> essence of my being. <laughs> with the subheading called Counterfeit Spirit. And my first note on this one was, oh, my God, he's literally explaining why races are different now, guys. I want off this ride. <laughs> Absolutely not. Are you kidding? After nine pages of the Arch Archon Archer, some good old-fashioned racism is a breath of fresh air. <laughs> okay, that's real, though. Yes. We learn about the different races and how that works from David Icke right here in the book. He said the races are just different information-encoded energy fields that experience reality in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Quote, human races look different because they have different genetic origins relating to different extraterrestrial races, end quote. And he just carries on to some other fucking point after that. <laughs> okay, what about the other senses besides looking, David? What what it? How do they taste different? Do you want to tell us about that? I really wanted him to go into detail, maybe add a couple of visual aids that are just photos of him making racist faces, oh, Jesus right? Christ. Some tape involved for some of them. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, an editor was like, nope, we're not doing no, the smell thing. No, we're not I'm taking doing the tape faces nope, away. Absolutely not. He also teases us here by promising that we'll get to alien reptilian fucking later. Right? <laughs> also, demonic Lizardalian fucking is part of the equation I will explain later. <laughs> Seriously. Do we have to wait for the Patreon episode to come out? Yes. I don't understand what's happening here. 
Also, he keeps quoting from old Gnostic texts, but because they don't line up with any of the shit he's talking about, he'll just add his own nouns in brackets next to their mostly unrelated ones. <laughs> right? So it would be like me quoting the Bible thusly, like, for God, you, so loved the world, me, that he sent, did, his only begotten son outfit stuff. You know, no. I know Kung Fu. That's in the Bible. I mean, what is God manifesting as his own son, if not atemporal, soul-bound outfit stuff, Noah? Well, you're Ooh. overthinking this, man. This is you're going beyond David Icke-level thinking. And then there's a bit here where he starts explaining. It's like a computer and a mouse. He's got this analogy, and it's just it. It absolutely reads like Eli's bit where he just starts listing the shit that he's looking at. <laughs> My literal notes were, and that, of course, is always fan letter from a Nazi naked picture of Jerry Falwell Jr.'s wife. <laughs> Part eaten block of hand cheese. Fuck. <laughs> so was everything we just talked about complete nonsense? Don't worry. David Icke does indeed have a metaphor to help explain. Mm. And he shows us figure 96 here to explain it. It's a guy at a computer with the mouse on top of the keyboard, by the way, <laughs> and it's plugged into the middle of the screen, just right onto the face of it. Yep. And the screen just says, mind parasite. <laughs> what does he think? I don't understand anything. Do I get so much book. more confused when I look at the visual aids. <laughs> right. The, the visual aids are the opposite of visual aids. Yeah. Right. So uh, now, ev by the way, everything that we've read so far could be accurately summarized with the single word dualism but he doesn't know that one so he's using all the other words instead he doesn't know where a mouse plugs in so you really think he's going to know about dualism he doesn't know what the mouse goes on there's a lot of stuff right, yeah. I want to see him set up computer just smashing stuff into other stuff also there's this weird bit where he explains that your, your counterfeit spirit is trying to close your heart chakra vortex so that you can't know Spirit love. That is not just a sentence from the book. That's his thesis. Sure is. Okay, well, David, maybe if you warned me you were going to get near my heart chakra vortex, I wouldn't clench up. You got <laughs> well, okay. to race around my heart chakra vortex yeah. a little bit. Apparently, love comes from that chakra vortex, and uh, grief fucks up that vortex, and he can prove it. So, you know how people die of a, a broken heart from grief? No. It's like that. He actually, <laughs> yeah. he actually, I think he believes that that phrase, that old saying is like a real medical thing. Right. He could have used a real example. You're just making shit up. Well, sorry, he was making shit up. But then he starts citing work from the Institute of Heart Math. That's one uh, word. Heart math. Heart math. Yeah. <laughs> so he explains, though, that your heart has its own tiny little brain. But don't worry, he brings evidence that you know how you think better when you're not anxious or fearful? How could you do that without a <laughs> mystical heart brain? Okay. And I just want to point out, along like the fucking borders of the page, the visual examples have just entirely jumped the ship at this yes. point. The smart people are unloading into an alarm clock arc on top of graph paper. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> All right, so then we, we dig into the concept of fate in the subheading, The Fickle Finger. Of course, it's been six pages since he brought up The Matrix last, so he quotes Morpheus some more. By the way, I want to emphasize, this book came out in 2017. <laughs> right? Like, it's not like he was trying to capitalize on the popularity of this year's big movie or anything. Topical, man. It's like your aunt who just found out about TikTok of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Right, yes. <laughs> Questions I get asked as a single mom. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah. Point, point. 
then he goes on and on for a while here about how astrology makes perfect sense once you accept bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> and I should point out that his bullshit, bullshit, bullshit is not astrology. It's not no. like the planets. No. He's just like when your face soul goes through the archon of the seventh level. Yeah. Okay. He actually says here, this is all based on science. The science of astrology. It's real. <laughs> and he, he claims that he met, quote, a number of astrologers who get paid by global corporate CEOs to advise the company. Now, seems like you could say the number, right? Right. A yeah. number is is the number zero. <laughs> that is a number. Technically, you didn't lie, I guess. Yeah. I, I just wrote in my notes at that point, like, studies have shown things that support astrology. And I'm just like, oh, just did studies in general. I guess there's not room in this 800-page book to cite those studies. Just... Okay, so many. <laughs> they have a non-complete clause with the uh, Institute of Heart Math. Oh, so they okay, can't well, be yeah. <laughs> <in the> same <laughs> book. Yeah, he's at this point quibbling with interpretations of astrology, right? It's bullshit inception at a certain point. Right. He's fighting with himself about the definition of astrology. He's like, you might ask, who would win in a fight between my invisible friend and the devil? The answer? <laughs> astrology. <Yes. laughs> Okay, he he tries to use the time as like a Mobius strip analogy, and he basically hurts himself with this analogy. He basically <laughs> cuts himself and has to be rushed to the emergency room. Did you try to walk upside down on the strip you were imagining? <laughs> yeah. Okay, to be fair, time is like a Mobius strip in that David Icke has no fucking idea what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's another visual aid here, figure 102. And it's just a Mobius strip. That's it. Yep. Because this entire book, it's just naming stuff when you're stoned with no explanation of how it actually relates. <laughs> yeah. It's like Mobius strips, right? See? Right? <laughs> so weird. Also, oscillation is the word. Waveforms. Also, <laughs> Mobius strip. I ran out. Okay. Done. <laughs> he, goes, he says, this is a quote. He's talking about Saturn. He says, Saturn is, quote, a son in truth, end quote. And then he just moves on like that was self-explanatory. Yeah. Saturn is super important to this whole concept, and that'll become clear later. When he actually says it again. The Patreon edition comes out. <laughs> and then we get the least believable words that he has put in the book so far. The name of the next subheading is in short. No, no, it's not. <laughs> Spoilers, it's not. Yeah, dude, when your point is invisible monsters are trying to eat your sads, Summary is not your friend, okay? No. <laughs> Bury that in as many words as you can. And, uh, this is where he says, several psychics told me in 1990 that humanity was going to have a giant awakening and become enlightened. And we, we should be done with evil and sadness and wars. Just like any minute, I guess. Pretty soon. <laughs> He says, religion, politics, media, science, and medicine are all firewalls to keep you away from the truth that David Icke is, is dropping. And I was terrified to see medicine get its own dedicated spot on that list. I'm not surprised, <laughs> just terrified. Yikes. It's like if one of those computer classes at the library for old people, like you know, the ones that are like, how to turn it on without calling your grandson. It's like if one of those was also Nazi propaganda. <laughs> right. <Yes. laughs> One other little detail here. He adds more proof. He tells us that evil is the reverse of live. What? In English. Dude, I need to write. Specifically in English. 
The Gnostics, they talked a lot about how... Yeah. So, and then, because David Icke is too dumb to know that summaries are supposed to close things off... They are, yeah. <laughs> he wraps up with another, a post-summary subheading. I wanted there to be a summary of the summary and this subheading. But no, the last subheading was Truth Vibrations. And this might be the most bullshit source in all of history. David Icke is citing his own work that was based on his 30-year-old recollections of conversations he had with professional psychic mediums. Yep. All right, let's see if I can remember my own bullshit, the David Icke story. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. He cannot. I know I promised a grand spiritual awakening back in 1990, but if you think about it, we totally had one. <laughs> yeah, we'll be done with all the evil and sad. Warning, this podcast never runs out of fucks to give. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Gabby and by the new Jesus-themed pizzeria, Crust Almighty. Crust Almighty, putting the pizza back in pizza on Earth. And now, The Scathing Atheist. Hey guys, my name is June. I'm an ex-Mormon trans lesbian. And based on the reaction my seminary teacher had when I told him what I was at age 16, I can really attest to the fact that at least some of us evolved from some filthy fucking monkey men. It's October 28th. And it's the Festival of St. Jude. Cool. How do you do with those cancer kids this year? Would we say festival? (laughs) (laughs) I'm no illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from Martha Stewart's, New Jersey, Cincinnati Red State and Redtown Blue State, this is the Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, Christians throw out their backs attempting to meme... God builds a bridge out of a witch and then burns her to death to help a GOP candidate. And David McAfee will be here to tell my mom I mean it about the atheism thing. (laughs) But first, the diatribe. ever notice how many Christian arguments against atheism boil down to confessions of what an asshole they are? I, okay, it's easy to miss because this, there's like a background hum of Christianity in our culture that most of us learn to ignore at a certain point. But as soon as you manage to look past it, it becomes glaringly obvious. Like, I've literally heard Christians complain that atheists are too in your face about their beliefs. Like Christians will make that argument while wearing a crucifix. I get door-to-door salesmen for Jesus at least a few times a year, regardless of where in the country that I've lived. Still, never gotten one for atheism. But Christians don't notice the hypocrisy for the same reason that I no longer notice the smell of my cat litter. You live with shit long enough, and eventually you stop noticing the smell. This became glaringly obvious to me during a recent online argument with a religious transphobe. They were complaining about the singular they in a way that suggested they have no fucking idea what this sentence is about when I noticed that they were capitalizing the H in him when they talked about God. 
But these motherfuckers want to complain that the singular they is some weird affront to the sacred rules of pronouns. But at the same time, they insist that we treat the pronoun like a proper fucking noun if it's applied to their favorite deity or his son. And and I'm pretty sure they'd have me capitalize son there, too. The, the, the point is that the thing that they're complaining about us doing is a lighter form of the thing that they're doing, and we're not even actually doing it. That, that's always the case. Think about how much they complain when shit like evolution or the age of the earth comes up in children's programming. Now, the, the Charlie Brown special that's been playing on network television annually since the motherfucking 1820s stops cold for an echoing monologue about how correct their religion is. That's a world's worse than what they're accusing us of, right? Like evolution isn't atheism and, and neither is geology. The fact that they decided to set their religion's course parallel to the one with all the facts on it, that's not our fucking fault. But even if we accept their bullshit premise that telling kids about evolution is atheist indoctrination somehow, the most they can accuse us of doing is the thing that they've been doing for decades. Hell, even when it comes to teaching that shit in schools, if we actually were teaching atheism when we acknowledge evolution, all we'd be doing is succeeding in the thing that they're actively trying to do every fucking time we turn around. The absolute height of this, of course, is when they accuse atheism of being a religion. And this is obviously and hilariously wrong for all the bald is in a hair color and off is in a television station reasons that many atheists have pointed out before me. But even if it isn't, are you arguing that religion is bad? I mean, isn't the idea that one of the religions is true kind of central to your whole thing? Like, we're not a religion, but if we can all start off agreeing that that would make us less rational, that'd be great. That'd be a great starting point for our discussion. Of course, like a jackass saying he can't see the eclipse because the sun's in his eyes, they're so blinded by their own goddamn privilege that they can't see it when it's right in front of them. That background hum of acceptability has been permeating their assholery for so long that even when they recognize the behavior itself is bad, they can't see that they're the ones doing it. And as bad as all that is, it's almost exculpatory, isn't it? Like, like somehow deep down, they, they do know that their behavior is that of an asshole, and they do know that one should avoid acting like an asshole. They're just victimized by that background cultural hum. But if you're tempted to paint them as the victims in this whole thing, I think it's worth remembering that we've been trying to show them this shit for quite a while now. Every effort to force them to face their privilege has been met with closed eyes, fingers in the ears, and a chorus of la, 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 I can't hear you. When their kids start to glimpse the corners of their privilege, they freak the fuck out and start a crusade against critical race theory. Yeah, hell, the very exchange that led to this diatribe was a person vocally rejecting the idea that they should be at least one-fiftieth as respectful to real human beings that we can prove exist as they insist we be to their imaginary fucking friend. I mean, look, I can't blame a person for not being able to see around their cultural obstructions, but it's not like nobody ever told Christians what to do when their view is obstructed by a plank in their eye. They're talking about your Jesus. this broadcast bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the butcher and baker to my candlestick maker, Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, are you ready to thump this tub? Oh, Noah, please do not give Heath the chance to insult the surprisingly large section of our audience that are tubaholics. I cannot go through this again, <laughs> Noah. I cannot go through this again. It's fine. It means to publicly... You get knocked down, you get up again. <laughs> In our lead... Chumbawamba story. actually has an amazing, deep catalog. You should check it out, everybody. It's just it's important. Phrase tub thumping exists beyond that. Anyway, in our lead story tonight, 
I wanted to highlight a recent article in The Atlantic that details the terrifying ongoing ideological purge sweeping through the evangelical power structures of this nation. The article bears the deceptively optimistic title, The Evangelical Church is Breaking Apart, but what it's really about is the right-wing conspiracy field Trumpies pushing out everybody who suggests that maybe black lives do matter. And while that will inevitably lead to a smaller evangelical presence, that's hardly worth celebrating if the way they got there is by cutting loose all their restraint. The Christian right saying the loud part out louder? Is yeah. It, is it better? <laughs> yeah, the Christian right isn't so much a tent pole for Republicans anymore as it is a maypole. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, so the article starts on the uh, case study, that of the McLean Bible Church in Northern Virginia, where their annual election of the elders turned from a formality to a mudslinging misinformation-fueled shitfest that included accusations that some of the candidates wanted to sell the church to Muslims and turn it into a mosque. Fuck yeah. <laughs> For all those Northern Virginian Muslims. Some really progressives. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, but according to the article, the real heart of the issue, though, was that the church's leadership, though conservative, was unwilling to call white, black, and up, down enough for the conspiracy-addled Trumpies in their congregation. And this partisan purge is, of course, happening in evangelical churches all over the country. I'm not too worried. Th those people can check out uh, trumpchurch.geocities.biz. Yeah, was launching. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They've got a whole parallel society. Yeah. Oh, no, the lie-based racism clubs are being taken over by... Racist lies. Who could have possibly <laughs> seen it coming? Yeah. So now one aspect of the article I found really interesting was the emphasis it placed on the fact that evangelical isn't really a denomination. right? It's kind of a catch-all demographic term that pollsters used to distinguish white Protestants from black ones. Eventually it became a self-identification thing, but it was based much more around political affiliation than theological interpretation. So the author of the article quotes Christian book editor James Ernest, who points out, quote, the evangelical church in the U.S. over the last five decades has failed to form its adherents into disciples. So there is a great hollowness. All that was needed to cause the implosion that we have seen was a sufficiently provocative stimulus, end quote. And, of course, that provocation was Trump who filled the empty space where our theology was supposed to go with racism and conspiracy theories. OK, in fairness to Trump, that's a great description of the Bible. No, true. Racism yeah. and conspiracy <laughs> theories, the book. That was a, a Trump-shaped hole where theology was supposed to go. And really, that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. If your thing is Trump-shaped, don't have that thing. Have it go away. <laughs> yeah. Now, I should say that the article is problematic as all hell. Okay, so it's, it's written by an evangelical Christian who's desperately looking for ways to deflect blame from the religion itself. Right, like, for example, at no point does he admit the shocking degree to which evangelical pastors have embraced or ignored the rise of QAnon-type shit within their church. He mentions their anti-woke goals early on, but doesn't bring up white supremacy until the last third of the article. And he, even then, it's just like, it's there to round out a list. Hell, the author can't even resist playing the both sides card in an article about how Trump is fucking up the right wing of Christianity. <laughs> Oh, what? won't someone think of the overly woke UU churches yeah, going basically, through a similar yeah. problem? Oh, that's the other, that's the both sides. No, I even no. Uh, conceive but... of what that would be. <laughs> and so that being said, it says something when so many progressive Christians feel the need to sound the alarms from inside the building, even when they know that they're arming folks like us when they do so. Yeah, I mean, good on them for noticing the fire 
after it burned all the women's rights and trans people. But like mm-hmm. when you read this article, you can't help but feel like if you had a four sentence conversation with this person, they would cry and tell me I don't get to tell them what words mean. Yeah, I just feel yeah. <laughs> like that's where this article was going. How could I be mean to an article? It's fine. It's fine. I'm going to go wait in the car. <laughs> and in Say What You Meme News, there's this saying that goes around the Internet that the right memes better than the left. And Who says that? Right? I, the, the right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. In memes, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And in so much as the right is far more willing to let their entire political viewpoint be represented by a thinly veiled declaration of white supremacy... That's true. Um, it, is there a veil? But it's when these so-called memes hove their way onto the Christian rights pulpit that they become our territory. Which is why we're going to talk about the GOP candidate who participated in the political equivalent of muckfonald Trump at a church this week. Would, wouldn't it be truck funnel dump or something like yeah, that no, if sorry, you're doing the spooner? No M. Also, yeah. that's the political equivalent of itself. That's, <laughs> it is. Okay, so but one way or the other, look, the reality is this, that the more uniform and less nuanced your thoughts, the more memeable they are. So, you know, keep bragging about it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's explain the meme in question, because society died and this is hell for society, mm-hmm. yep. which died and went to hell. Last week at a... NASCAR race. Cool. Great start to a sentence. (laughs) Driver Brandon Brown was being interviewed when it became apparent that the crowd behind him was chanting, fuck Joe Biden, fuck Joe Biden. And NBC sports reporter Kelly Stavast, in an attempt to maintain that she was neither in a basket and if she was, how deplorable could it be, desperately suggested to the driver that the crowd was chanting, let's go Brandon. So, it's really funny. You should watch the clip. But anyway, she knows what was being said. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely knows. It's honestly, like, go her. Like, that was, that's a pretty good on your feet. Quick thinking. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's not allowed to be like, oh, I noticed everyone here is a piece of shit. So did you turn left today? (laughs) So, ever since then, conservatives say, let's go Brandon when they mean fuck Joe Biden. Right. You, you get it? Because it's, it's like saying a mean thing. Yeah, <laughs> nailed it. They got us. An entire political party of adults is doing the eight-year-old cursing thing. Yes. It's like, I said shit hockey mushrooms, Mom. <laughs> I'm allowed. I'm allowed to say shit. I have to be able to talk about mushrooms. You have to let me say that. I was that. talking about asteroids. Come on. Now, <laughs> You're a swear jar. <laughs> the record, though. Oh. Our guy is rejected by the crowds at NASCAR events. Their guy gets the same thing from the crowds on Broadway. Like, even based on just that, you can tell we're on the right side of this. <laughs> Vice, you can use that one for your next article. <laughs> and like I said, this level of political discourse has ascended to the real source of political power for the right these days, the pulpit, where this week GOP candidate Mark Burns took to the stage of none other than show favorite Greg Locke's church. Huh. He, you know, he didn't come up in that article I was talking about at the top of the show. It's, it's, it's weird. weird. So it's weird. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. So he showed up at the, the lockdown, as I call it, to spew transphobia and lead the crowd of dozen in a cheer <laughs> of Let's Go Brandon. Okay. I think the most embarrassing part is 
you're allowed to say fuck Joe Biden. Right. Yeah. You can just say that. But they're giggling about it and diving into the bushes because <laughs> mom's going to catch them. <laughs> you know who the real victims are here, though? Liberal Brandons at competitions, right? Absolutely. Your dad's cheering for you in the stands. Stop, dad. They think that's a bad thing. <laughs> So I think what's obvious is that the left is lacking some good memes to get our ideas across while upsetting our ideological rivals. So without further ado, we here at The Scathing Atheist would like to introduce the following super cool piping hot leftist memes. <laughs> Fellas. Oh, okay. So something piping hot and of the now. Okay. The, the like the what's up from those whatever, late 90s Budweiser nice, commercial. topical. Absolutely, yeah. yes. So now that's code for the idea of race is scientifically incoherent and the concept of whiteness is an ever-receding bulwark for losers to try to feel special behind. Ooh! Ooh. What was that? Yeah. Yeah. I like, I, you know what? I like both sides of that. I like yeah. the meme and I like quoting the commercial. Yeah. It's great. Also, fuck Donald Trump. I'm just yeah. saying it. Right, regularly. you can just say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I want to play too. I got this. Uh, all right, uh... You remember the Noid, right? I grew up in the Noid. Yeah, of course. God of the Domino's Pizza franchise, very topical as well. Mm -hmm. The Noid is now a symbol of a robust social safety net created by taxing billionaires. So anytime anyone complains about unions in any way or uses the phrase laissez-faire or uses the phrase providing liquidity, they get <laughs> side-tackled by the Noid. We have an nice. army of Noids running around tackling yes. people. Fuck yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay, uh, finally... The newest TikTok trend is to remind people that wage theft steals more money than all the other kinds of theft combined. I don't really have a trend. Do a dance to it. Okay. Make a make the Siri voice say it to a mountain goat song. Who is just one guy, by the way. He's a mountain goat. You, people, you, you've got to let this go, dude. Bothers me. He's a one man. <laughs> I don't like the wage theft, but not taxing the billionaires is a way bigger theft <laughs> that we're letting them have. That's fair. Yeah. And in Quack Kills News. Fantastic. We have a story about a terrible doctor who should not be allowed to use that title. Her name is Dr. Asterisk Stella Emanuel. Oh. And she was the star <laughs> of a video from last year, you might remember. It was promoted by Donald Trump in which a group of Dr. Asterisks explained that COVID is a hoax and a conspiracy. Uh, apparently us evil communist heathens conspired to create something that's fake at the same time. It's the perfect crime if you really think about it. No, it's not. Don't think about it. So <laughs> during the video, Emmanuel claimed that face masks are useless. Hmm. I guess surgeons were using them as germ theater for the last century. <laughs> and she mentioned that she used hydroxychloroquine successfully on her patients. They're from Canada, and they're super hot. You wouldn't know. Well, <laughs> here's the latest very serious medical information from Asterisk Emmanuel. Satan, the prince of darkness, created an army of clones, and they're hunting down and murdering anti-vaxxers. Oh. Uh, okay, if this was real, I think it's what it would take for us to forgive armies of clones for their part in ruining the second Star Wars prequel. <laughs> <laughs> all is forgiven, guys. It's all yeah. good. Also, I feel like we don't need an army of clones. We just need, like, AOC to tweet, don't drink poison. <laughs> so No, you won't, cowards. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony, Tony, <laughs> gave you an award, buddy. Okay, quick background on Stella Emanuel. First of all, 
You'll be surprised to learn she's not an epidemiologist. No. Yeah. She's a pediatrician, asterisk, and a Christian minister. Hmm. Oh, no asterisk on that one. No, no asterisk on the second one. Also, makes the claim of curing people with bleach way scarier that she's a fucking pediatrician. (laughs) And uh, here's a few of the very important contributions she's made to medical science. She discovered that secret doctors are using alien DNA in medical treatments. And, uh, yeah, I mean, all the original stuff came from space at some point. That's not really helpful. Uh, also, if Tralfamadorian DNA could stop COVID, we should fucking use it right? for sure if yeah. we have that. Anyway, moving on. She also said that those same secret doctors are using vaccines to make us all atheist. So, again, um, good. Yeah, good. well, yeah, sure. Yep. And she claimed that gynecological problems like endometriosis are caused by people having wet dreams about fucking a demon. Wet dreams. That's something she really said. I don't think she, I don't know if she said they come or not. But okay. She said they're having sex dreams with with demons. Okay. Here's the thing though. As someone who's tried to find a pediatrician, you know she's got a patient whose parents are like, "Yeah, it's crazy and bad, but she's so close to the house and pediatrics. <laughs> <laughs> has a huge line every time we go. It's a whole." Five-minute drive away. (laughs) And that brings us to the amazing army of Satan clones that's going to kill the anti-vaxxers. Apparently, they understand the trolley dilemma pretty well, for Satan clones anyway. Well, for anybody, they get it. According to Emmanuel, quote, The devil has power to give breath to the clones. They want to assassinate those who will not take the mark, the number of the beast, or the name of the beast. The Moderna vaccine has luciferase. Oh, are we back to... Which is that we're back on luciferase. Yep. That's the name of the beast. I don't think... I think it's just Lucifer. (laughs) (laughs) He goes by Ace in the clubhouse. Well, these people who think they're being clever when they, like, name their devil character DeVille in their movies, I guess I can see them thinking, oh, they almost fooled me. (laughs) Yeah. But seriously, she said this. The Moderna vaccine has luciferase. That's the name of the beast. Everything about this vaccine has 666, which is the number of the beast. End quote. No idea what that last one Everything that you couldn't think of any. You're making shit up and you couldn't think of any specific (laughs) that you could have said that it has 666 ingredients and shit. Jesus, you were going for list of two and you had to cheat at the end. (laughs) Okay. I know we've talked about this before. But the idea that Christians think that Satan, the great deceiver, would accidentally put his name <laughs> on the mind control, clone creating, whatever the fuck it's supposed to be, tells you so much about the extent of their own cunning. Yes. Right? This, this would be like if they, I don't know, planned to overthrow the government and they couldn't stop telling people about it and it was finally coming out. <laughs> on text threads. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, just a quick review of, you know, reality. Sure. (laughs) Luciferase, it's an enzyme that got its name from the Latin for light. Right. It's the type of enzyme that makes fireflies glow. It's just the word for light in Latin. It's not Satan magic. But it does make me happy that Stella Emanuel sees fireflies and thinks, firefly demons are doing this weird... Low-level prank on Christianity all summer, just like, (laughs) flicker, flicker, flicker. 
Nailed it. But <laughs> most importantly, the Moderna vaccine does not contain luciferase. Oh, wow. No, it does yeah, not. right. Mm. Either way, <laughs> that clone army is real, and I think we're all rooting for him. Yeah. Yes, Cloney 2020. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'll tell you what. I now have a convoluted plan to save the world that involves renaming a bunch of life-saving medicines with devil words. So we're going to pause for a quick feasibility (laughs) study, and while we're doing that, we're going to offer up a quick word from this week's sponsor, Gabby. Resin, resin, stupid. Hey, you're making start to sketch angry noises. What's the matter? Yeah, yeah, sorry. It's these movers. You know, some charge more, some charge less. I just wish there was a simple way to compare, like Gabby does with auto insurance. What's Gabby? Oh, Gabby uses your current policy to compare your coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Nationwide and Travelers. They're the one true comparison platform with fast, verifiable quotes, not ballpark guesses. Wow, that sounds great. And because Gabby uses your current coverage, they only show policies that are the same or better than that current coverage, many of them at a lower price. And Gabby is free to use, and they never sell your info, so no annoying spam or robocalls. Yeah, actually, I ran my policy through Gabby when they became a sponsor, and I found the exact same coverage for a hundred bucks less. Makes sense. People who switch with Gabby save, on average, eighty dollars a month versus their current policy. Eighty dollars, and it's not just me who loves Gabby. Gabby has been featured in TechCrunch, Forbes, and USA Today. So start saving on your auto insurance today. Go to gabby.com/scathing. To start saving today. It's totally free. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash scathing. Gabby dot com slash scathing. All right, Heath, I'm sold. Oh, hold on a second. I'm confused, though. If Heath is moving in the podcastiverse, doesn't that mean that he's not going to live in this house anymore? Oh, no. He's stuck in the podcastiverse. We all are. Happy Halloween. No, you can't make the ads spooktacular. You gave me one horror movie on GAM this year. One. One. Two. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she wants. If it's a legitimate race. It is. You're a slut, right? Cooking can be fun. Hey! I'm proud of a man. This week in Mississauga. It's funny how so many men use references to femininity as a shorthand for fear. If a guy is unwilling to do something dangerous, he risks being referred to by... Feminine pronouns, or even worse, a pussy. And I'm like, motherfuckers, I've spent the last two years watching y'all feel podcasts, op-eds, comedy specials, and day-to-day rants with unmitigated terror at the idea of maybe being held accountable for your actions eventually. In other words, it's easy to be fearless when there's no consequences for your actions, asshole. And for a great example of what I'm talking about, I want to go back to a story I missed because of the month off. It's about a pastor named Chris Volatin of Bethel Church in California. Now, regular listeners might recognize that church by its more common and less official moniker, Christian Hogwarts. It's the church that tells kids they can walk through walls and resurrect the dead if they Jesus hard enough. So anyway, last month, Volatin decided to post one of his old sermons on YouTube. It's apparently from 2014. And the theme of the sermon seemed to be, you are a filthy, filthy slut, and I'm surprised God still loves you. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I have to admit that I haven't actually listened to the whole sermon. What I saw was a minute-long compilation that a TikTok user put together that provided some quick hits of the most sexist parts. In it, he implies that women are responsible for men's thoughts about them. He implies that victims of sexual assault have it coming if they wear revealing clothes. His exact words are, if you fish with shark bait, you're going to catch sharks. And the video wraps up with him saying, quote, 
I've seen thousands of people's virginity restored. I have hundreds of emails about girls' hymens being restored. End real quote. Now, holy shit, is there a lot wrong with that? And I only gave you the highlights of the highlights. I mean, I guess I should give him at least some credit for backing off the claim that he's seen hymens restored and going with having seen emails about it. But holy fuck, is everything else wrong with that sentence? Hymens do not equal virginity. Virginity isn't a thing that can be restored. Virginity isn't something you should want restored. And, to be honest, I kind of doubt that Chris Follerton can read or use a computer well enough to find his inbox. Anyway, the compilation of his sexist purity culture bullshit went viral, so he immediately took down the video. Then he releases this bullshit non-pology statement where he blames the chick who put together the compilation. Quote, someone who I do not know created a short 57-second video using select sound bites from that teaching and posted the clip on social media. Understandably, anyone who saw that short video would be confused as the full context was completely missing. End quote. And look, man, as bad as the you're taking it out of context argument starts off when you're talking about magically regrowing hymens, it's all the weaker when the reason we're taking it out of context is that you removed the context. But here, let me put it back in context for you, buddy. Chris Fullerton is a misogynistic piece of shit who gets mad at women when their wardrobes make his wee-wee do a fidget. And if you need any more context than that, I should remind you that he preaches at a church with a school that claims to be able to teach you how to wield Harry Potter magic through Jesus. And with the promise that I'll pick some more current misogyny for the next one, I'll close things off and hand you back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. Next up in headlines in Doesn't Hurt to Mask News. It's hard to believe that there's a dumbest religious objection to a mask mandate. The baseline stupidity required to articulate a religious objection of any kind is already pretty high. And when it's a religious objection to safety, all the more so. But if doing this show has taught me anything, it's that even the stupid have their stupid. And that's on full display in a recent lawsuit against the Central Bucks School District in Pennsylvania's mask mandate, which alleges, among other things, that kids who wear masks at school are being forced to participate in a satanic ritual. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, a reporter actually checked on that with the official Church of Satan just to be a dick. And the spokesman for the official Church of Satan said almost, quote, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) We we use the vaccines. Mask starts with M. So does milk. Satanic ritual. There you go. Yeah, (laughs) I did it. So, yeah, we've already heard arguments as stupid as. We're made in God's image, so you're forcing me to cover a religious icon to Psalms 91 says I've got superpowers to whatever the fuck Greg Locke was ranting about before the Dunkin' Donuts manager threatened to call the police. But Pennsylvania (laughs) parent Shannon Harris is making a late play for the dumbest version with this lawsuit. It's actually a lawsuit by four different parents on behalf of their eight kids, and it seems like maybe they didn't realize what a wackaloon Shannon was until it was too late. Don't get me wrong. The other parents' objections are fucking dumb. They argue that wearing masks give their kids headaches, exacerbates their anxiety, and that masks are, quote, being used as a control mechanism over the population, end quote. Sure. But all of that pales in comparison to Shannon's invocation of literal Satan. Sorry, just circling back. You know what exacerbates anxiety for a kid? Their parents trying to sue the school over fabric that exacerbates anxiety. (laughs) Yep. 
What? I love the idea of a kid has an anxiety attack at home. He's trying to breathe into a paper bag. They're like, get that fucking away from your face. <laughs> Look, I know I can never run for office because of the terrible things Heath has said on this show. But what? if I ever yeah, my fault. did run, fuck up that plan for my you. campaign slogan is going to be, I will tell stupid people to shut the fuck up while they're talking. That's it. <laughs> Just a... A promise to be the only politician who someone's like, well, I'd like to shut the fuck up. I could be president, guys. I don't think I could, could have be been president, president. But yeah, if it weren't for he. I think we need an army of Eli clones running across <laughs> the country. Okay, so potty mouth. Here's the part she insists on on keeping in the lawsuit, even when the they're coming for our precious bodily fluids. Guys told her it was silly. Quote. The Harris family identifies as Christian and believes that it is against God's will to wear masks because wearing masks interferes with their religious duty to spread the word of God and forces them to participate in a satanic ritual. And in case she wasn't being melodramatic enough, it continues, quote, during the 2020-2021 school year, the Harris family felt tortured by being forced to choose whether to practice, yes, tortured by being forced to choose whether to practice their religious beliefs or participate in sports in the district, end quote. Okay, that means this mom tried to spread the word of the gospel at some point, and she was like, Jesus is the way that, fuck, I ate some of my mask fabric. Fabric's hard. Yes, oh, yeah. right. Yes. How the fuck does it stop? That prevented you from <laughs> yeah, spreading the gospel? She also <laughs> kind of gave away her own game there, right? Because, like, if you actually believe in God and it's a Satan ritual, it's not hard at all to choose between those two things. Oh, lacrosse or to give my soul to the devil. Yes, right. What she actually <laughs> means is that her family was tortured by the choice of pretending to believe in God yes. or lacrosse. Right. So, yeah, the the bad news is that our secret mask-based satanic ritual to invoke the anxious headache demons might be blown wide open. The good news is that we got to torture the Harris family along the way. So that's a, that's a pretty solid silver lining. I think. Also, they have masks in lacrosse, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and in I'm Just Wiles About Perry news. Anti-Semite extraordinaire and host of the malpropsonizationally named True News. Nailed it. Thank you. Has something to say about the COVID vaccine that was stupid even for Rick Wiles this week when he explained to his viewers that the vaccine contains a, quote, egg that hatches into a synthetic parasite, end quote. <laughs> okay. Why would we build it with an incubation period? It's synthetic. <laughs> just inject it right in. Well, no, no, because, like, look, dude, if, if people could see it swimming around in that needle, they wouldn't let us put it in their arms. Oh. So obviously, you need it to be inert. <laughs> obviously, yeah. Oh, no, it's cool. You're just injecting me with eggs. I thought <laughs> I, just I saw something swimming. No, it's cool. Oh, okay, ahead. it's like boba. It's like boba. <laughs> right. So regular listeners of the show might remember Rick for saying... Well, gosh, a bunch of stupid yeah. stuff over the years. Yeah. But he, he he looks like the Street Fighter character Guile's abusive stepdad. <laughs> he does. But you might know him more recently for getting serious COVID, which, sadly, he survived. Our thoughts go out to his family in this difficult time. <laughs> <laughs> Look on the bright side, Rick's family. The long-term complications could still get it. We don't know. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Anyway, here's what Ricky Tiffy looked like peach-flavored taffy had to say. Quote, what the fuck is happening? This Ricky Tiki Tabby. <laughs> wow. I ran a little dry. I'm not going to lie. I ran like a little. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Nice. See, everybody wins. This is a global coup d'etat by the most evil cabal of all people on the planet. 
in the history of mankind. And if it is not stopped in the very near future, they will win. That's what's at stake. Control of the world. I don't know about Joe, but I'm kind of flattered by all those superlatives. Right? right? The yeah. Most evil in all the history of mankind. Wow. Yeah. He concluded, quote, they're planting, they're putting eggs in people's bodies. If you didn't see yesterday's true news, you need to watch it. <laughs> Citation needed, dude. Yeah. It's an egg that hatches into a synthetic parasite. It grows inside your body. This is like a sci-fi nightmare, and it's happening in front of us, end quote. Okay, you better not touch those eggs, Rick Wiles. Every life matters. <laughs> yeah. I detect a heartbeat. Hold Post- on. <laughs> Conception. Yeah, so, look, I hate to do so many call-to-actions in a single headline segment, but it's pretty obvious what needs to happen here. I need a bunch of people to send Rick Wiles that chest-bursting scene from Alien with the subject, this is my cousin who took the vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) Or that scene where they take the thing out of Neo's uh, navel. Yep, yep, I've got good (laughs) odds he's going to put it on air. Good odds, good odds. (laughs) And finally tonight, in things that absolutely did not happen for 500 News. According to Rachel Hamm, a candidate to become Secretary of State for California, according to her, she murdered her neighbors in a fire by praying. Okay. But in a good way. Right. It was <laughs> righteous. Uh, she's a GOP candidate, by the way, in case you're wondering. She's from the Republican Party. Just to be huh. clear. Huh. Yeah. So apparently she had a dream about getting killed in a fire by a robber, and decided to pray for her neighbors to have that happen to them instead, because her neighbors are witches, and apparently God came through on that. God, I miss the time when voters would reject a candidate that bragged about murdering their neighbors for better reasons than doubts about their veracity. (laughs) Okay, so here's the exact words from Rachel Hamm. This person is running for elected office. Keep that in mind. Quote, I'm a prophetic dreamer. Disqualified. Yep. Already. (laughs) Nope. No, you're not. And you're not running. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm a prophetic dreamer. That means I see things in my dreams before they happen. Yeah, we know what that meant, what you're trying to fucking say. (laughs) Those are words we know. It's that it doesn't, you saying that doesn't mean that, but yes, that's what those words mean. (laughs) So, continuing. I wake up and I've just had a dream that someone tried to break into my home, murder me, and light my house on fire. Okay? <laughs> Is it okay with you guys? Yeah, no, you, yeah, yeah, I don't really, yeah, yeah. you guys cool? Not really, but go ahead. <laughs> she continued. So I wake up and I pray. And I use my authority in Jesus' name to say, no, no one is going to break into my home or murder me or light my house on fire or harm me in any way. I go back to sleep. I wake up in the morning and I call home. And my mom says, you're not going to believe what happened last night. You know the witches? What? You know them? The self-proclaimed witches who live two doors down? Well, someone broke into their house, murdered them, and lit the house on fire. But End quote. And everybody Jesus cared about lived happily ever after. And the name <laughs> of those witches? Albert Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> so, just to be clear... The Christian God of the universe wants her to hold office. She announced that at the beginning of her campaign. So God is backing a murderous arsonist. That's official. And God is also doing the murder and arson on, you know, a wish. Now, 
Okay, obviously that's all a lie. Yeah, but crazy child lie. <laughs> according to Rifra, she's a sincerely held arsonist and assassin. Yeah, that's, nice. that's true. I think it's very important that the courts stop persecuting Christians and start jailing Christians for prey murdering. It's about religious <laughs> freedom. It's basic freedoms. Who are we to decide that that can't be real? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, with that quick reminder of how Christians would be using their magic powers if they had them, we're going to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Jumanji. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how much I dread the question, so what do you do? (laughs) Drug dealer. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Come on. Just, you can do it. You can do it. It's just, you can do it. Hey, buddy. Uh. You're doing up there on the roof. Yeah, are you trying to get a tan so that you can tell people you're from Jamaica again? Because it's not going to work, dude. No, no, guys, I figured it out. I am vanilla skying right now. You're vanilla skying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about it. I have a great wife and a kid. I get to joke around with you guys for a living. And it's all paid for by a magical website called Pay. Patreon. I mean, I am obviously in a future happiness simulator, so I'm going to try and fly, right? There's no point in not trying to fly. Dude, you are not in a happiness simulator. First of all, look at your body. Mm, Got you there. And second of all, people support the show on Patreon for a lot of good reasons. Oh, yeah? Like what? Well, they get a commercial-free, extra-long version of the show they can play on any podcast player. By pledging just a dollar a show over at patreon.com slash skating atheist. Mm, that is pretty good. Well, and plus at higher levels, they get access to ringtones, special AMAs that you, me, and Heath did, even signed copies of the latest Iotribes book. And they're supporting secular activism, which means a lot to a bunch of people. It's really important. Mm, pretty sure I'm vanilla skying. Yeah! You okay, buddy? Landed on a trampoline. Did you land safely? Nope, on the side. The metal pikes. Yeah, yeah, side. Well, maybe people go to patreon.com slash scathingatheist to help with the medical bills. I hope so. He's like wedged in there. Bill, help. You know, Vanilla Sky was a bad movie. Well, I kind of liked it. Losing a lot of blood. We all face the questions. Stuff like... What church do you go to? Do you thank God for it? Have you tried praying? The questions that leave you in a position where you either have to lie to somebody or use the A word. And if you're anything like me, you constantly find yourself asking, which is the easier strategy right now? Do I want to mislead this person or do I want them to potentially think that I'm a devil worshiper? Well, my guest today faced those questions so often that he wrote a book about them. David McAfee is a journalist and an author with an educational background in religious studies. His previous books include Disproving Christianity and Other Secular Writings and No Sacred Cows, Investigating Myths, Cults, and the Supernatural. And his newest book, Hi, I'm an Atheist, What That Means and How to Talk About It with Others, deals with precisely these questions. How and when to tell people you're an atheist and how best to overcome whatever shock, disappointment, or misconceptions follow. So first of all, David, welcome to The Scathing Atheist. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited that this book is out there. It's a great, succinct resource for new atheists or for atheists who aren't public about it. But before we talk about that, I kind of want to talk a bit about the author, because I find this fascinating. You were an atheist even before you started college, but you pursued a post-secondary education in religious studies. Why? You know, religion to me has always been about 
the fascination. I, I've always just been uh, intrigued by the beliefs themselves and also how and why people hold them and hold them so strongly. And it started when I was just 13 years old and I was going to church every Sunday, but not realizing that it was to be taken seriously. I, I kind of just thought it was just stories and learn moral lessons. And when I learned that my grandma believed that if we didn't go to church, we would go to hell. You know, I started to ask these questions like, how can we believe this so strongly? And then there's another church right across the street with completely opposing beliefs. And they believe that just as strongly. And, you know, since then, I've just been attending churches with my friends and family as a kid and then growing up. And then as soon as I went to college, I knew I wanted to major in religious studies. Wow, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so let's fast forward quite a bit. What what inspired you to write this book? You know, the inspiration kind of followed from this this desire to learn more about religion because I I graduated from UCSB's religious studies program with an emphasis in Christianity and Mediterranean traditions, and I applied to the graduate program for the same school and the interaction that I had there was actually the catalyst for the book, which was the dean of admissions telling me that I wouldn't fit in with the program because I'm an atheist activist with an axe to grind. And she said that based on just Googling my name and seeing the cover of my first book, Disproving Christianity, which I had already written the self-published version by that time. And yeah, just being judged in that moment. And I never actually got to submit my application because I, she rejected me before hearing anything more. So that that's what made me realize that being open about atheism was more than just about telling your family. It's about, you know, like you said, these little interactions, these little questions that come up along the way. Wow. That, that just blows me away. I, you know, I, it's, it, I guess the prejudice is, is not shocking to me, but that level of openness about the prejudice, I guess kind of is <laughs> uh, like, boy, at least lie to me, lady. Oh yeah. And, and she had, she had been transferred from a theology school just a few months prior to that. And, you know, a lot of people aren't aware, but there is a sharp distinction between a theology school, which is Christian in nature, and a religious studies program, which is secular in nature and teaches more about the inner workings of the faiths. But she came from a theology school, and I think she was kind of governing from that position still. Gotcha. All right. So l let's talk about the term atheist, right? So Obviously, it's one that I wear proudly. It's one that our show wears proudly. But it, it's only one of the many ways that a person who doesn't believe in God or gods can identify. And it's not necessarily the one with the fewest negative connotations in our society. So why embrace that term instead of one like free thinker or secular humanist? There are certainly places for, for words like that. You know, there are times in which that using those words is going to be better than using the word atheist. But the reason that I wrote the book, Hi, I'm an Atheist, and the reason that I champion the word atheist is specifically because of what you said, because of those negative connotations and because of the stigma that's attached to the word atheist itself. I feel like the more people who use that word and don't embody the stereotype, which, you know, <laughs> none of us do, none of us are those devil worshipers that you mentioned. So the more of us that identify as atheists and people try start to see that we are not those things, not devil worshipers, not hateful about God, not whatever it is, insert stereotype here, the better it is for everybody, including those in the future who want to be out as non-believers. Yeah, I, I think that's the most convincing argument 
for me, and, and as, as you presented in your book, is, is you're just you're making you're softening it up for the next person who actually has to tell them they're an atheist. You know, who who actually gets cornered by one of these questions. Exactly. So, okay, so just one more question on terminology. What does it mean when you say come out as an atheist or to be an out atheist? Yeah, I would say that typically means if you're not hiding your atheism from the world, and that could mean, you know, with your family, it could mean with your people at work. I, I talk to a lot of people who are like, I've been out as an atheist for years, and they, they mean that maybe their mom and dad and or their loved ones, immediate loved ones know, but when something comes up in a professional setting, they are more likely to just let the question slide or move right by it. So I feel like being out as an atheist requires a little more than just being open with family. That's fair. Yeah, I think I guess we're all out to uh, to, to varying degrees or I guess some of us aren't out at all. So. Uh, no, I know we've already kind of touched on this a little bit, but I still think it's worth uh, framing the question, as you do in the second chapter of your book, why should I come out? Mm-hmm. There are, you know, that question is different for every person. And like you just said, I, I did touch on that with the biggest reason, I think, to come out if you're doing it for other people is to get the word out there that atheists are not these terrible people that others think they are. That's That's the selfless version. But it's also important just to have honesty in your life. And it feels good, at least in my experience, to have people around me know who I am and know what I'm about and not falsely think I'm something that I'm not. Yeah, I guess at a certain point, honesty is its own reward. Now, of course, I feel like the flip side of that question is also worth addressing as well, because we have people listening from all over the place. Under what circumstances, in your opinion, shouldn't a person come out? That's a great question, because... You know, a lot of people see the book and maybe automatically assume that I'm saying that every single atheist should come out. But I very specifically say in the book that that's not the case. There are extreme situations in which I would say the best answer is to bite your tongue and wait until you can get out of that position. And, you know, obviously some examples of that are if you're being threatened to be kicked out and be homeless, if you come out as an atheist, if you're a kid and and your parents are very fundamentalist Christians or, or fundamentalist any religion, really. If you're living in, you know, somewhere in the Middle East where your life is going to be threatened, if it really depends. There are certain communities here in the South where if you mention that you're an atheist, you also have a target on your back. So I would say it's really up to it's definitely a case by case type of review. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important that we caveat that. This, yeah, there's no one size fits all solution here. So let's let's get to some practical advice here. Do, do you have any do's or don'ts for the atheists that say coming out to their family for the first time? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, if you're coming out as an atheist for the first time, you're probably going to want to do it in a way that's confrontational, in a way where maybe you're disagreeing with someone at Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. Someone in your family mentions, like, you need to pray or you need to do this. And it's going to be tempting to just be like, I don't even believe in that stuff. And and that's kind of what a lot of, especially, you know, younger atheists kind of tend to fall into that. And so I advise in the book to stay away from that, to make it more of a planned, thought out process and do it in a way where you're not going to create that confrontation where they don't see you as something evil, where they see that you're just the same person who happens to not believe. And so there are many ways to do that in a conversation to kind of ease your way into it. So that's kind of the tactic that I like to champion. 
yeah, no, I can see that. It, it, it's it's already something that has the there's always already the threat of confrontation. Why guarantee that? Yeah, exactly. It's it's an inherently controversial subject because you're telling people, you know, that they're wrong about something that they've believed their entire lives, that their parents taught them, that their parents believed their entire lives, that their parents taught them. It's something more than just you know being wrong about if a show is good or something like that. It's something deep for religious people. And so it's important to keep that in mind, too. Well, yeah, and, and nobody's indoctrinated with the belief that, you know, if you don't like the same TV shows as, as me, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. So, yeah, exactly. Even just out of th- their concern for you, it, yeah, it takes on a completely different connotation. Now, it's, I think kind of for that exact reason and maybe for some others, some people, it really doesn't matter how many times you tell them that you're an atheist, they don't hear you. Like, so. I'll give you a personal example. I've been doing an atheist podcast for almost nine years now. Mm-hmm. It is my full-time job and has been for three presidents. But my mom still refuses to accept that I'm really an atheist. She says I'm just an anti-church person. <laughs> so do you have any advice for the friend or family member that just will not accept your lack of belief? Yeah, well, first, I mean, to analyze the the reason that that happens a little bit, it, it's clear to me that it's because they really need that to be the case. Because if you are really an atheist, you know, according to Christianity, that is an unforgivable sin. That means that you can't come back from that if you've blasphemed against God. And so they need to believe that it's just a phase that you'll go out of it and that you'll come back to their faith. That's part of it. And then part of it's psychological where they just, you know, are in denial about it. As far as advice on how to overcome that, you know, <laughs> some people, as as you just kind of alluded to, are never really going to accept it. There's not like you can't just sit them down and be like, hey, this is who I am, because they'll just be like, oh, well, I <laughs> and if you've been doing a professional podcast like this for nine years and still not being accepted, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. But, you know, I think. <laughs> I think the acceptance then has to come on your part that that's just going to be how it is. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I got a lot of emails about that. On a, we, we did a Mother's Day thing, a live stream a little while back, had my mom on, and she expressed that, you know, just uh, during the live stream. She said, well, I don't think you're really an atheist. <laughs> and I had so many people email me and say, well, you know what? If you can't convince your mom, I feel a lot better about my inability to convince my sister-in-law or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually, that's a really good point. I mean, I, I never really had that problem, I think, because I've been an atheist open about it since I was around 13 years old. And so they accepted it by the time I was majoring in religious studies and writing a book called Disproving Christianity. <laughs> but yeah, if, if they're not accepting you and your podcast is called Scathing Atheist, yeah, I think that that's uh, a little beyond reproach there. Right, right. And I, I think that you, you actually hit on a very important point, and it's one that you made repeatedly in the book and that I really appreciated, which is that sometimes the acceptance does have to come from your side, you know, that, that you yeah. really do have to think more than just what, how is this going to affect me, but also how is it going to affect the people around me. As much as I hate to say that, given the prejudices that atheists face, sometimes when you're dealing with great grandma, you know, who is the uber fundamentalist, there really is no way to get all the way through. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually wrote my first book, Disproving Christianity. I started writing it because of my grandma, not as a book, but as like an essay to give to her because she told me that she believed every single word of the Bible. And she said that no matter what is in the Bible, she believes it. And I was like, made up, I made up something. I said, 
you know, what about this chapter, Ecclesiastes 13.42? It says that, and I made up this completely non-existent chapter. And she's like, oh, I believe that for sure. And I'm like, okay, so you will literally believe anything, not just that's in the Bible, but that I say is in the Bible. And what I did there was I continued writing this Disproving Christianity essay just to point out contradictions in the text, just to show her that it wasn't infallible. And unfortunately, she passed away before it was even published into a book. But I ended up publishing it and and putting it out into the world. And I still feel like it has helped a lot of other people do what I was trying to do for her. Right. Right. So, okay, so let's uh, kind of follow that thread a little bit, because I've heard a lot of stories from friends and and listeners who assume that coming out as atheist to their family would be like a world shattering event, only to have their family members accept it and say, yeah, now we kind of figured, you know, or Mm -hmm. or something far later than they expected. But I've also heard uh, stories of people who thought maybe it would go over well and ended up estranged entirely. So do you have any specific advice for people when things go bad? Oh, yeah. Um, when things, uh, first of all, you are right that you can never really predict exactly what's going to happen. I've, I've seen a lot of people have the exact experiences that you're describing where they think it's going to go great and then it just does not. I don't know if you can hear my dog right now, but I'm sorry in advance if you do. Hey, no, that's all right. We're, we're entirely fine with dogs making their way into the interview as long as we know the dog's name. Okay, her name is Maggie, and she's half St. Bernard and half Pitbull, and she's our chicken guardian. Oh, right on, right on. Awesome. So a dog with a job, that's always nice. Yes, and right now it's windy outside, so she is choosing to throw stuff against the house and just (laughs) just do everything, be crazy. But, okay, so when stuff does go bad, though, you know, there's not, again, there's no one-size fits all piece of advice for that either, but it does help, as you already mentioned, to keep in mind the other person's feelings and keep in mind exactly what type of situation you're in because coming out as an atheist can throw the person you're talking to into a sort of existential crisis if they start to think about the fact that their faith might not be real or something. So you can, you know, there's a lot more going on than just you at those times. And so it's, good to keep that in mind right and i should also mention that in your book you have a, an extensive list of resources for people in various situations like that, that oh definitely the resources section is probably one of the most valuable parts of the book i mean it has the scathing atheist in it so obviously it's uh <laughs> yeah it's got to be good <laughs> all right well too I, I feel like i saved the most important question for last where can our listeners go to pick up a copy of the book you can go straight to Amazon. You can go to the Macmillan website. They have a, uh, a nice little preview where you can see a lot of the book on their site. Or you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author David G. McAfee. Also on Instagram at David G. McAfee, Twitter, etc. Same thing. All right. Awesome. And of course, we'll have that linked on the show notes for the episode as well. Also, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for putting this book together. And thank uh, Maggie for her contributions as well. <laughs> Thank you very much, Noah. I appreciate you having me. And Maggie says, <laughs> Before we put a lid on this episode, I wanted to let everybody know that Metroid Dread is a pretty solid return to form for the franchise, even if the reliance on save points is frustratingly dated. 
Sorry, I, I didn't have anything else to talk about. I have to fill this part of the show with something. Anyway, that's all the blasphemy we've got for you tonight. We'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show's Hot Friend God Awful Movies, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, and an even new episode of our half sister show citation needed debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously, I can't power down without thanking Heath Enright for doing this episode, even though he has to do it while moving. I need to thank Eli Bosnick for doing this episode, even though he has to do it while not moving. He has trouble doing that, as anybody who's ever edited him knows. I also want to thank uh, Lucinda Lusions for being here and being so moving. I want to thank David McAfee one more time for hanging out with us. Be sure to check out the show notes for more info on his book. I also want to thank June for providing this week's Farnsworth quote, but most of all, of course, I want to thank this week's most simmering simians, George Curtis Fabiola and Big Black Cockatoo, whose IQs are high enough to trigger vertigo. Together, these four phenomenally fulsome free thinkers pour in a fraction of their fortunes in the furtherance of our fuck-filled fulminations of the faults of faith this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the keen detection skills and ability to banter well with supervillains that it takes to give us money, but if you think you're up to the challenge, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash whereby you'll only access to an extended ad-free version of every episode, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. And if you'd like to help, but not in a money-giving kind of way, it also helps a ton when you leave a five-star review and tell your friends that listening to this show cured your cancer. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of B. Andrew Torres. Tim Robinson handles our social media and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark, who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode, which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingalias.com. Do you want another try at it? Yeah, I want another try at it. There we go. The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Warning, charity or no, there's going to be some vulgarity. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by ZipRecruiter and by Vulgarity for Charity, the annual fundraiser where you help prove that you don't need any bullshit about rewards in heaven to be a good person. And now, The Scathing Atheist. Hello, Homo Sapiens Sapiens. This is Julie LaVoice from the Julie LaVoice Wine and Reason YouTube channel. And I'm here to tell you that we did, in fact, evolve from filthy monkey people of all genders. This is a fact. It's not a theory in the colloquial sense. Look up a scientific theory and learn the difference. It's November 4th. And it's National Skeptics Day. Or is it? <laughs> it, it is. I'm No Illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from hopefully Phil Murphy's <laughs> New Jersey, <laughs> Mason, Blue Town, Ann Arbor, Michigan, yeah. and Red Town, Blue State, Waycross, Georgia, this is The Skating Atheist. On this week's episode, you'll get the chance to vent your Election Day rage while doing some good. The Supreme Court lets Maine prevent mass death, but... On a provisional basis. Mm -hmm. And we get audio proof that the people at Liberty University don't think. But first, the diatribe. It's like they were having a picnic on a train tracks. And we were like, hey, look, there's a train coming. You don't want to move over into this big empty field? 
And they were like, nah, that train's still miles away. And besides, that field doesn't even have sunflowers. And we were like, okay, but the train tracks don't have sunflowers either. And, and the train's closer now. And they were like, yeah, yeah, no, it, it could still turn. And we were like, no, because it's a, it's a fucking train. And they hemmed and they hawed and they made us promise to plant sunflowers in the field. But eventually, seconds before the train reached them, they got off the tracks. Well, m- most of them did anyway. And what we learned on Tuesday night is that as soon as the train went by, they laid their stupid fucking picnic back on the same fucking tracks. After all, the sunflower seeds we planted still hadn't even bloomed. So, yeah, once again, a depressing post-election hangover to record a diatribe in Virginia, a state that Biden won by 10 points and one that's been basking in one progressive win after another for the last few years, decided to abandon the Democrats under little more than the promise the other guy wouldn't tell their kids what a bunch of fucking racists they are. They still haven't called the New Jersey gubernatorial race as of this recording, but even if the Dems pull it off, we're talking about a state Biden won by almost a million votes. Which side of the razor it falls on matters a lot for New Jersey, but one way or the other, Democrats lost big on this. Our side could barely be bothered to vote the second the existential threat turned a corner. The threat isn't gone, of course. It's just banned from fucking Twitter. There's another train scheduled to come down this same track, but way too many American voters need to be able to smell the motherfucker before they'll take it seriously. Now, to be clear, this has been true for a long time, right? The the, the apathy of the average American voter is legendary, but we used to be more or less evenly apathetic on both sides of the aisle. That's no longer the case. Made-up wedge issues, increasingly overt racism, and bullshit conspiracy theories have left the right side in a seemingly permanent state of apoplectic agitation. Turns out, the motivation they could never quite muster when it came to solving real problems was hiding in their bigotry the whole time. See, this is actually another instance where to know what's really going on in this election, you have to look to Moscow. But a different Moscow this time. This time it's the one in Idaho. See, like the rest of Idaho, the city of Moscow is increasingly a haven for right-wing anti-government theocratic nutjobs, but that city's doing it way more purposefully. The Guardian just ran an expose about their slide into municipal theocracy at the hands of Douglas Wilson, pastor and founder of the Christ Church in Moscow. You may have heard of this guy before. Many moons ago, he actually toured with Hitch in a series of debates about whether Christianity was a net good for the world and has spent all of his life proving he was on the wrong side of that debate. He also stirred up a little bit of controversy when he co-authored a book called Southern Slavery As It Was, where he argued that on balance, being a slave was fucking baller. Anyway, he runs this church, which which counts about 10% of the city and its membership, and increasingly, he and the leadership of his church are gobbling up every important leadership position in the city with the stated goal to, quote, make Moscow a Christian town, end quote. Now, don't get me wrong, small town in Idaho with a population of 25,000 people, they're in no real danger of religious pluralism one way or the other. But avowed theocrats systemically taking over the levers of power should scare us no matter how minor those particular levers are. Think about how little real-world experience the good people of Moscow, Idaho have with non-Christians. They're sitting at home staring through the keyhole of One American Network, Fox News, and the right-wing meme mill, swinging blindly at threats that don't exist, and all the while heaping power onto right-wing politicians who do exist. 
And look, this shit is scary enough when it's just disingenuous politicians riling up their base with imaginary bullshit about critical race theory. But the tail isn't just wagging the dog here. It's slamming it back and forth like the Hulk did to Loki after the battle in New York. I, I think it's safe to say, you know, Glenn Youngkin is just a rich guy milking that cow for votes. But there are plenty of people ascending to positions of power who actually believe this shit. That's way more terrifying. Sure, some of them are just paying lip service to theocracy to get the tax cuts. But at this point, a lot of them are also just paying lip service to the tax cuts to get the fucking theocracy. We should be terrified of them. And the most terrifying thing is that according to the election results from Tuesday, we're not. They're becoming increasingly militant right in front of us. They're not trying to hide it. We've covered multiple stories in the last few months about different religious groups buying up large tracts of land for military training. They're not even pretending to respect the wall of separation anymore. And we're sitting on our fucking hands confident that we're not in any real danger until they actually do that cross thing with the Washington Monument, apparently. Look, the overriding message of the last five or six years in American politics is that the Christian nationalists are willing to fight for this shit. And the message we got on Tuesday is that they are alone in that. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the vulgarity and the Ford of my charity. Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, are you ready to justify your existence? Okay. Kind of wish you'd ask us that a little bit less. <laughs> yeah. Four votes. Four votes. So just have a more justifiable existence then. Okay. So podcast. Before we get going tonight, I have a super important announcement. November is when we do our mostly annual fundraiser, Vulgarity for Charity, where you supply the charity and we supply the vulgarity. We're teaming up with Tom and Cecil once again to raise money for our favorite charity, Modest Needs. And we've set the ambitious goal of doing as well as we did last time, honestly, and raising over $300,000. We're already well on our way. We've got an anonymous donor matching the first hundred grand, but that leaves us a lot of dollars to go to make it. So we're going to need your help. So if you're new to the show, here's how it works. You donate money to Modest Needs, and you help people on the verge of poverty get ahead. And in exchange, we insult somebody of your choice on the air. You're on scathing or over on Cogdis. Now, last time we did this, we got a bit overwhelmed by all the insults, mm -hmm. and it took us literally almost two years to get through all of them. <laughs> it's an amazing turnout, great cause, but a little too much for us to handle. So this time, we're doing it a little bit differently. We'll be limiting the on-air insults to 200 total. That'll be the top 100 donors, plus another 100 randomly selected from anybody who donated $50 or more. Exactly. Now, the fundraiser's already going on at last through Thanksgiving, so if you want your insult read on the air, you need to get the donation in before midnight, November 24th. Just go to modestneeds.org, make a donation, then email proof of your donation along with who you'd like us to insult to vulgarityforcharity at gmail.com. And if it's not a celebrity, the more you can tell us about the person, the better. Picks up a ton. Again, make a donation at modestneeds.org and then send the receipt along with your roast request to vulgarityforcharity at gmail.com. And by the way, we're going to start picking that random 100 before the drive is over. So the sooner you get your donations in, the more chances you're going to have of getting your roast read on the shows. All the details are in the show notes for this episode. And hey, even though we just started this thing this week, we have already reached 12 grand in donations, which is 24 with our $100,000 match. So keep those donations coming. Also, not for nothing, if you're as pissed about Tuesday's election as I am, this is a great way to vent that frustration. Go on, people. Reach deep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we, I think we need a pause to make a donation of our own. So while we do that, we're going to toss you over to a word from this week's sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Hi. Welcome to Typical Hiring Agency. How may I inundate you? Um. Well, I'm looking to hire a few qualified candidates for a job. 
All right. Well, uh, how about this guy? Hi. Oh, ah, uh, he's covered in blood. And? And and we're an advertising agency? Well, maybe he's advertising blood. I am not. He He's not. He just said he's not. Well, <laughs> what do you think I am? Zip recruiter? Oh, what? What's zi- oh, okay. You, you know what? You're covered in blood. You go. It's cool. What's zip recruiter? It's the smartest way to hire. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send you the most qualified people for the job. Then you can easily review the candidates and invite your top choices to apply. Wow, that sounds way better than whatever this guy is. It is. In fact, according to ZipRecruiter internal data, jobs where employers use ZipRecruiters invite to apply get on average two and a half times more candidates, which helps make for a faster hiring process. See for yourself. Just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash S-C-A-T-H-I-N-G to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Here, references. That's, uh, that's a severed human head you just gave me. Reference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now, back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, the Supreme Court got something right last week. Yeah, for real. So let's just bask in that broken clock glory of mm-hmm. that victory for a second <laughs> before we get into the details. Because as usual, in our current political hellscape, the details really fuck up the celebration. What actually happened is two-thirds of the Supreme Court got something right last week. And half of that two-thirds just kind of got lucky and backed their way into it. So here's what they did. In a six-to-three vote, SCOTUS decided not to block the state of Maine on their new law that requires healthcare workers to be vaccinated against deadly diseases. One of those diseases now being COVID, of course. Right, yeah, so the question is, Should a life-saving public health measure that's been upheld by the Supreme Court over and over again for 116 years remain legal, even if religious people don't want to? And it was 6-3. 6-3. They weren't sure about that. I don't think are you the Supreme Court gets a unanimous decision at this point. (laughs) No, no. If only there was something we could have done to prevent this, maybe in 2016. Yeah, there was something. So here's the background in case you missed it. Maine, like many states, has a rule that says healthcare workers need to be vaccinated against stuff that could easily kill people. Sounds like a good rule. Uh, mostly, <laughs> mostly because, you know, people who hang out with healthcare workers tend to be sick sometimes. Sometimes they, they made a rule they about that. Yeah. They've had that rule for decades, but they had exemptions for medical, religious, and or philosophical reasons. <laughs> well, philosophical Yeah, reasons. those last two are fucking stupid, right. especially now. So in 2019, state lawmakers got rid of them. They got rid of those last two exemptions. And in 2020, 73% of Maine voters approved the removal of those two exemptions in a statewide referendum. And then a group of Christian healthcare workers tried to sue the state for religious discrimination because the COVID vaccine was developed using fetal cell lines. And you can't force people to inject a dead baby into their eyeball. That's illegal. <laughs> so the case ended up with U.S. District Judge John Levy, and his ruling was approximately, yeah, no, enjoy your religion. Please quit your job because you're fucking dumb. I don't want you to be a healthcare worker then. Also, the vaccine is not made of dead babies, but if it was, 
We fucking should inject dead babies into your eyeball, right. obviously. If we've got dead babies, I do not your eyeball particularly. I mean, you should get, but like you should be in the back of the dead baby eyeball injection line at best, but the point stands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you go last. You get yours at Walgreens in the middle of October. <laughs> so Judge Levy's amazing ruling got appealed, and the Supreme Court took the case. I could not fucking believe that. That, that yeah, was it was terrifying that they even considered this. Every time they take a case, any case at this point, the ruling might be, we are the Republic of Gilead now. That's what's happening. But luckily for sanity in the universe as a general concept, Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh had their stupid states' rights thing backfire in their faces, and they kind of had to let Maine make a law and then overwhelmingly approve it with a Democratic referendum. But... They wouldn't even admit that's what happened, that backfiring, because they're both intellectually dishonest fucking ghouls. Yeah. Barrett and Kavanaugh made it clear in their begrudging snit of a concurrence (laughs) that they weren't ruling on the very obvious merits of that main law, but rather on a technicality. They basically said this case was an emergency appeal and it was on the shadow docket, so we didn't get to hear a full oral argument about the religious freedom to spread a plague, which would probably be an amazing oral argument had we heard it, but we didn't. I guess we'll side with prevention of mass death for now. Gaw. Fuck. Yeah. Hey, you know things are bad when I'll get you next time, Gadget, next time is the good result. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just for the record, the dissent... From Gorsuch, joined by, of course, Alito and Thomas of Dream Team, was a complete embarrassment. Or at least it would have been if those people were capable of being embarrassed by their own stupidity. They are not. They Dunning-Krugered their way out of being embarrassed by their own stupidity. It's not a good sign for anyone, if that's the case, let alone three of the most powerful people in the country. According to Gorsuch, Maine's decision to deny a religious exemption doesn't just fail the least restrictive means test, it borders on the irrational. Oh, it oh, borders. Okay. The, yeah, the border of irrational is rational, though. It's just a, fine, is, a line yeah. between the two. I, I know you've never visited this side of the line, Neil, but surely you've heard about it in your picture book. So then diagram, man, you're Jesus justice of the Supreme Court. Christ. Okay, but hear me out. Hear me out. I sincerely believe that someone should... Pie those three gentlemen in the face way more than Christians believe their thing. There you go. They agree my thing should be legal. <laughs> You're they right. They think. You're right. They I do. I believe it in my heart so much. Thank you for saying pie those guys in the face, Eli. Thank yeah. you very much for <laughs> That's that. That's what Eli meant to say the whole time. <laughs> that is what I wrote in the script, too. Sincerely held pieing in the face. Pie. <laughs> also, you know what does not border on the irrational? Having a sincerely held belief about stem cells based on a book from 2,000 years ago. That's nowhere near the border. It's (laughs) all the way in there. Are you serious? You can't even get a train to the border from No, yeah, exactly. You have to to get on a different train. You have to take a ferry. (laughs) And in bullshitting up to Boston news. Of the many problematic bigotries growing up in upstate New York that I've had to shed... Once in a while, there's one that stands the test of time. Namely, my milk chocolatey hatred of the city of Boston, Massachusetts. Which, once again, gave me ample excuse to vent my ire 
as its mayoral elect publicly declared that she was too busy to explain why she doesn't think religions, aside from the big three, exist. Okay. Is she threatening us? Like, no, please don't refuse to explain your amazing philosophy of religion. I really wanted to hear that from you. Look, she is three away from how many religions should exist. That's closer to the right answer than most American politicians get. That is true. I'm up board. So far, so good. So the mayor-elect in question is Michelle Wu, who, for many reasons besides her itsy-bitsy theocratic bent, is an exciting candidate. Yeah, it's good stuff other than this, mostly. yeah. Yeah, she's a lady. She's a person of color. She supports Nordic social policies from the 1970s, or as your uncle would call them, radical communism. (laughs) The problem is, she's actually the subject of a pretty serious lawsuit brought by the Satanic Temple over how she ran invocations when she was on the city council. So, as the lawsuit notes, there were 233 invocations given between 2011 and 2017. None of those invocations were given by Wiccans, other pagans, or Native Americans. A complaint that Wu personally responded to by explaining that the invocations were, of course, non-discriminatory. They were just invitation only. Oh, but great. That was the good explanation in her mind. No, no, no. The country club doesn't ban people of color. We just don't happen to invite them. You're welcome, everybody. Right, yeah. It, it's cool. Right. Like, so that, that means your discrimination was active rather than passive, lady. Like, <laughs> is, your, is your point that you're a go-getter? I don't... Cool. <laughs> yeah. So as a result of that awesome response, Wu is due a deposition in the lawsuit. And that lawsuit was scheduled for Election Day this past Tuesday. Okay. So I actually do want to hear her explanation of this now. Yeah. yeah. She needs to explain. And look, I get it. She was busy on Election Day. But as a result of the lawsuit's deposition being scheduled on that day, her lawyers didn't just file an emergency motion to move the deposition. They wanted her to never have to undergo the deposition at all, saying that the deposition had, quote, the sole purpose of harassing and annoying the candidate, saying that, quote, if the deposition were permitted, it would encourage future plaintiffs to file lawsuits solely for the purpose of deposing high-ranking government officials at the beginning of their actions without having to make any specific allegations related to such official and actual quote. Guys, we've run amok with the accountability? That is, <laughs> that's a new one. That's a new excuse. Yeah, if you let them do it against her because of allegations, then no allegations is just the next logical step. <laughs> First they came for the guilty is not the same kind of poem. No, no it is not. And look, chances are that this story flew under your radar, but I want to bring it to your attention because it's theocratic bullshit like this that leads to the stuff that candidates like Wu will notice, Right. Atheists and atheist activists like the Satanists, like them or not, are the canaries in the coal mine, and the cave-in is the loss of Roe versus Wade. Invocations are stupid, but they also mean FaceTime with lawmakers. They mean access, and it's super important if we're giving that out that everybody gets access to it. Yeah. So, congrats to Ms. Wu, I guess, but... Also, go to your fucking deposition and explain why you think Native Americans don't exist. I don't know what to tell you. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Bottom line, still happy she won. Could have been so oh, much yeah, worse. Yeah, right. She's yeah. great yeah. in a lot of ways, to be clear. This one, don't like it. Yeah, one of the few silver linings uh, on Tuesday night. And then, I'm not at liberty to say news tonight. 
it's important to remember that even when we already know shit, it matters when we prove it, right? Like the fact that we already knew Trump was a traitor and a grifter doesn't diminish the importance of congressional investigations into that, no matter what 60% of Facebook comments say about him. Is that a real stat? No, I'm just... Oh, God. <laughs> it could be higher. Personal... It could easily be higher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fuck. But so that's why we were disgusted, if not remotely surprised, to get definitive proof that Liberty University's think tank was actually just a thinly veiled effort to elect Republicans while maintaining a veneer of 501c3 legitimacy. And we learned this from a phone call where one of the people running it basically said, we're actually just a thinly veiled effort to elect Republicans while maintaining a veneer of 501c3 legitimacy. (laughs) Hold on, sorry, I left my phone on. I think it heard me. It just said, did you mean American Christianity since 1980? (laughs) Thinly veiled effort to elect Republicans while maintaining a veneer of 501c3 legitimacy. You know what? It's not so much the insane conspiracies the right accuses of on a regular basis. It's just that they're always, always actually doing that thing they're accusing us of, but for their side. Exactly. Right. Of course, regular listeners already know all about the awkwardly portmanteaued Falkirk Center, the (laughs) propaganda mill half-named after drunken cuck Jerry Falwell Jr. and half-named for right-wing talking head and much smaller right-wing talking face Charlie Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) It's very small. So Liberty University established their global air quote shortage-inducing think tank back in 2019 with the grandiose mission to, I'm not making this up, quote, Equip courageous champions to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to advance his kingdom what? and renew American ideals, end quote. <laughs> Academically, that's yes. with our that's academic that, goal. That, that, it's that with legal pads and yeah. granola bars yeah. and lemon water <laughs> in our WeWork space. <laughs> with cool stand-up desks, if you want. But according to a secretly recorded phone call obtained by Politico, the real goal was, quote, getting people elected and, quote, motivating our conservative people to really get out to vote, end quote. And again, this matters because as a tax exempt institution, they're not allowed to do that shit, regardless of what the IRS's history of non-enforcement might suggest. Yeah. And the level of stupid here is fucking priceless. The guy who leaked the story to Politico used to be one of the people running the tank of thinking before he got pushed out. And He's on the call, and he basically said, hello, my fellow conspirator. We're just a thinly veiled effort to elect Republicans while maintaining a veneer of 501 legitimacy, right? right? I'm not a cop. Repeat that back to me if you agree with me. (laughs) And and the other guy, also running it, still runs it, said... Yes, I'd describe us as a thinly veiled effort to elect Republicans while maintaining a veneer of 501c3 legitimacy. Yes, I do. Yep. (laughs) Also, my secretary said you sent over this thing about homo says what? What? Ah, what? (laughs) Idiot. Yeah, so now the phone call in question was between former Liberty Administrator Scott Lamb and current President Jerry Priva. In it, he pushes Lamb directly to do a better job getting conservatives elected and reminds him that the entire purpose of funding it was to do exactly that. And when Lamb pushes back and reminds him that explicitly endorsing candidates would be illegal. <laughs> he even gave him a shot at an out there. Yep. He's like, that's He's like, illegal. That's, would, wouldn't that be an illegal crime that we would be doing illegally? Primo responded. I'm not, I'm not going to tell Politico about this, but I would just say that <laughs> that's illegal. <laughs> he responded, quote, I have a 50C3 church. Sick. Really? For 30 years, I've known how to handle that and not get in trouble. The homosexual community has tried to take me down for at least 30 years. 
and they have not been successful because I know how to work the 50C3. Still sick. <laughs> okay. I love that this guy thinks he's he's been, like, making moves. Right. Yeah, exactly. Years. Exactly. Yep. Staying one step ahead. Three-dimensional chess. They juke, I jive. There you go. <laughs> what? I've been playing hide-and-seek by myself for 30 years, and I still haven't been found. <laughs> hide-and-seek <laughs> champion. <Yes. laughs> yeah, so, look. Getting caught misappropriating a charitable organization by bragging about how good you are at not getting caught misappropriating charitable organizations is the stuff a legend here on The Scathing Atheist. But honestly, like, so is bragging about how you know everything about him while repeatedly getting the name of the thing you know everything about wrong, right? So, like, twice he gets on the board. But admitting that you're breaking the law has to mean something, right? And... The fact that it almost certainly won't really mean something. Well, yeah, it's not like it's something serious, like, you know, a drag queen reading a storybook at a library. Right, no, those things have consequences. I'll take it serious. (sighs) And speaking of bullshit institutions that never suffer the consequences of their actions, it's time to check in on the patriarchy, so we're going to hand things over to my lovely wife, Lucinda. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she wants. If it's a legitimate rape. It's a slut, right? Cooking can be fun. Hey! I'm proud of a man. This week in Mississauga. Well, since Noah brought up Liberty University, I guess we should talk about that bullshit, huh? As regular listeners will know, of course, Liberty University is embroiled in a whole lot of scandals involving the response to sexual assault on campus. We talked on the show a little while back about the 12 women who sued the school for policies the plaintiffs claim actually encourage sexual assault. There are at least 10 more women who have publicly claimed they failed to take reports of sexual assault seriously. Well, at the heart of those allegations is a policy called the Liberty Way. That includes bans against consuming alcohol and, in their words, fraternizing with opposite sex. And, of course, sexual assault often happens when consuming alcohol and fraternizing with the opposite sex. So when a student finds herself a victim, she has to decide whether to risk getting kicked out of school for violating the Liberty Way or keep quiet about being raped. And this is not some paranoid hypothetical, by the way. ProPublica just did a story with several case studies of former Liberty students that say they were kicked out of school for being the victims of sexual assault, and they have a lot of evidence to back that up. Hell, as a standard part of the school's sexual assault investigations, they made several victims sign forms acknowledging possibly violations of the Liberty Way, and even the form itself warns that they could face disciplinary actions. So they literally wave a paper under sexual assault victims' faces saying, You sure this is worth getting kicked out of school over? Anyway, not much new to report here. But since we were already talking about them, I figured it was worth emphasizing that their bullshit tax exemption is the least of the wicked shit they're doing. Of course, it's not all bad news this week. The Supreme Court gave us reason to believe that they might not have tossed Roe out altogether this week. On Monday, they heard two challenges to Texas's new abortion law, and it seems like maybe Kavanaugh and Barrett realized that Not letting laws count because the law was cleverly worded could come back to bite them in the ass. I'm talking, of course, about the nonsense bounties the new law places on women who get abortions and the way they're hiding behind that provision to insulate the law from a judicial challenge. As Solicitor General Elizabeth Preliger pointed out, if they allow this bullshit bounty system to stand, quote, no constitutional right is safe, end quote. And that includes the ones that right-wing zealots care about, like the gun one. 
And look, I get that maybe they won't overturn Roe until that Mississippi law comes up next month. It isn't much of a silver lining to hang on such a dour week. So I have one more up note for you, thanks to astute listener Paul. See, as wrong as we keep getting it here in the States, at least there's hope somewhere in the world. It turns out that just about the time we were using our elections to roll back the tiny shreds of progress from the last one, Queensland, Australia, was making a bit of feminist history. As of today, they have a woman as Chief Justice of their Supreme Court, Premier of the state, Governor of the state, Police Commissioner, and heads of the state's four top universities. So if you live in Virginia and you're looking for somewhere to relocate, it appears that at least somebody wants us. And on that glimmer of hope, I'll wrap things up and hand you back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. Next up in headlines, in Wilting at Windmills News, it's been a year since Donald Trump lost the election, and the Christian right is still desperately clinging to the hope that God is going to fix it for him. Apparently, the new theory is that God let Biden win without telling anyone, and well, actually, he told most of these people the opposite, mm-hmm. and ever since, he's been just building the moment. And any day now, if they hold their breath just a little bit longer, God's going to put Trump back in office and also send his son Jesus back to Earth for that second coming thing that's been on the to-do list for a while now. And we got two different sermons about that last week, and they're so sad and flaily. It's the fucking best. I just, it is. It's fun to watch, but it's also terrifying as fuck, right? Like, so... After the Great Disappointment, the Seventh-day Adventists admitted the world hadn't ended, right? Like, they were literally less committed to their thing, and they're still around 177 years later. (laughs) Imagine what the fucking Church of Trump is going to look like in the year 2198. Yeah. Well, maybe they'll have implemented bleach communion by then, so I'm hoping for (laughs) frothy. Maybe they'll look Yeah, no, that's true. Okay, yeah. Long enough time. All right, so I'll start with a sermon from... Pastor Shane Vaughn of First Harvest Ministries in Mississippi. Not a good start. So, for anyone who's not familiar, he looks like a henchman for a henchman. Like, a, <laughs> like he he's really JB henchman, hoping to make it big, hoping to get his big break really soon on the varsity squad. And according to Vaughn, God is going to overturn the election. Quote, you've been wearing a fake election and a fake crown. And you've been strutting your stuff with Kamala by your side. (laughs) Jezebel herself. Really? You've been walking around my people as if to say, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, you didn't catch me. You've been strutting your stuff among my people saying, where is your God? Why didn't he stop us? Well, God said to you, enjoy your crown. Enjoy your diadem. I'm coming to take your crown off your head, you profane president of my people, end quote. (laughs) I guess he's talking to Joe Biden. Right, yes, Mm. yes. You you may walk like a duck and you may quack like a duck, but I know the real truth. (laughs) I know the canard. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Hey, just like as a general rule, if someone says nanny, nanny, (laughs) boo-boo, I think it's pretty safe to assume that they don't, in fact, speak for the creator of the universe. (laughs) Thank you. That needed to be addressed. The general, like, no matter what else goes on, if the sky opens up and they descend and they're like, nanny, nanny, (laughs) boo-boo, it's a new Chris Angel special. It's not, it's not your guy. And that's going to bring us to 
self-proclaimed prophet and heavy metal pirate from the future, Robin Bullock, <laughs> who will not take off that leather jacket. No, he not will not. Take, yeah, uh, yes, I like wearing it when I'm sleeping. I sleep I naked except for the leather jacket. Yes, it? I do. I like this. No, stop it. He, he he looks crazy. You know, he looks like Aaron Ra got like, he looks like Aaron Ra. He looks like <laughs> Okay. Well, great. He, now Aaron Ra is going to use this as blood bags on his dune buggy. So right? great. That's fun. <laughs> He said it, Aaron. Get him. I feel first. like that was that was already going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's true. I'm very heavy to load onto a front of a vehicle, Aaron. You don't want it. <laughs> so, Robin Bullock gave the saddest, vaguest, hedgiest sermon about how God is going to remove Biden from office or, or something or whatever soon or later, maybe next week, but like Friday next week, probably <laughs> late on Friday. Or some other time when the cable guy shows up. So, according to Bullock, exact quote, don't be discouraged. And that is a priceless start. To this <laughs> don't be discouraged. As November comes and goes, you just remember something. God is still going to do what he said he was going to do. And in heaven, people that people recognize as president is not recognized in heaven. 666. That was the end <laughs> of his actual sentence there. So you can look for a big event to take place, probably at, I caught it in my spirit standing here, something, I mean, this is the exact quote, the exact <laughs> quote, something, there's going to be a prophetic event that's going to happen very soon, and it'll be, I don't know if it'll be in this country. Oh, really? Uh, maybe another nation, but it'll be known loudly. It's an event. Uh, I don't know what it is. Aww. I'm not sure if it's nature related or something. What? <laughs> but there's about to be a big event. And look for the word title. Okay. And I believe that's connected to a wave of something. something and exact out. quote. Exact Jesus. quote. Jesus. Okay. All right. His existence is a bit, right? <laughs> right? Like, he's, got, he's this time traveler from 2021 as envisioned by a 1980s kids show farce of a human whose increasingly vague prophecies barely qualify as English. Like, if we were just sitting here, like, we hadn't done our homework, and we had to make some shit up to make Christianity look bad, we'd make up Robin Bullock. <laughs> yes. Who'd have thought we'd have been longing for the psychic accuracy of John Edwards and right. his, I'm getting an M. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, I don't know, maybe another consonant or vowel, something. Something. Maybe in a different language in a different nation. <laughs> this nation or another Cyrillic one. letter. I don't know. <laughs> so, here's the big takeaway. We all need to stay vigilant as atheists and Biden people. Keep your eyes peeled for a Something, wave something. Watch out for that. <laughs> an event. Yeah, maybe an in event. And also, watch out for Joe Biden being removed from office in a different country. Because if he gets ousted Tidally. in Estonia, we're fucked. Tidally, Tidally ousted. And in I Can't Believe a Leopard if the Face Eating Leopard School run by the Church of Face Eating Leopards ain't my face <laughs> Matthew LeBlanca a music teacher at St. Joseph's Catholic Academy in Astoria, New York, as well as the music director at Corpus Christi Church in Woodside, New York, was fired from his position this week by his Catholic employer for the sin of marrying his longtime partner 
in a move that he could only have seen coming if he'd paid attention to the hundreds of other times this has happened. Yeah. Turns out there's a downside to working for a child rape cabal that doesn't recognize your humanity. Who'd have thunk? (laughs) But this leopard is different. Nope. (laughs) So we've told this story so many times that I'm sure regular listeners can sing along with the words at this point, but... LaBanca married his partner, was called into the office, summarily fired, and offered three months severance if he would sign a gag order, which he refused. Nice. His students and their parents are horrified that the thing their school explicitly says they'll do happened, and they've signed a petition that nobody is going to read or look at. Right. Meanwhile, LaBanca is out of a job with no legal recourse because, and I cannot emphasize this enough, we have literally carved exceptions into discrimination law so that religious schools can do this shit. This isn't just legal. It's not a loophole. It's not under the radar. We have collectively decided that we want this kind of thing to be in the law. Yep. Yeah. And it's just normally this is a super obvious Title IX violation, sexual discrimination, so clear. Even Neil Gorsuch had to admit that. Yeah. If an employee of a different gender married that guy, it's no problem. So clear as sexual discrimination. So I guess now we just need religion to have laws and we're all set, right? Then it'll be perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look, I bring up this story not because it's new, but because while a lot of our listeners are blue humans stuck in very red states, I know at least a few of you live in seemingly liberal places like Astoria, New York. And some of you are parents trying to navigate the absolute hell that is the American public school system. I get it. Sending your kids to private school is incredibly tempting. But when you do it at a religiously affiliated institution, you're not just feeding an international rape cabal. You're also funding shit like this. And when it turns out this way, there is not a damn thing you can do about it. Yeah. And finally tonight, in getting the band back together, but band like... Uh, band. This, yes, and, Fantastic, and, and yes. But to, to set Fantastic. the stage for this story, <laughs> I want you to step for one moment inside the fever dream of a Pure Flix movie viewer and imagine that a school anywhere in America issued a rule in its official student handbook banning students from wearing Christian clothing or clothes that promoted a Christian message. Murder! Uh. I can't. Now, if you're having a little trouble with that, because, you know, there's like no theoretical series of events that could even lead from here to there inside a century. Let's let's now try to imagine the school banned clothing expressing some other religion's expression for fear that it might offend Christians. That a little easier. That's because it happened. The offending school was. Pencrest High in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, and until very recently, their official student handbook literally banned students from wearing clothes that were, quote, satanic in nature, end quote. <laughs> Are those boots cloven? you got to turn them inside out. You can't wear those in school. <laughs> Are those Prada? You can't wear those. <laughs> the devil wears Prada. So, to be clear, just for clarity, <laughs> the clothes that promote the existence of Satan are the Christian one. Right. Okay. The the rock bands took your guy. Yeah, but right. He's exactly, your but he's guy. your guy. <laughs> he's still your guy. So so yeah, the offending passage comes in a section of the handbook that forbids students from wearing anything that advocates illegal or antisocial behavior. 
Okay, so they have banned Christian clothing. Now I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, right, no, right, I'm... yeah, exactly. So, well, I'll tell you one thing they definitely can't wear. That would be the goddamn student handbook, <laughs> which includes in its list of examples things that, quote, have sexually suggestive writing or pictures, advocate violence, advertise or promote the use of tobacco, alcohol, or drugs, have double-meaning wording or obscene language <laughs> gestures, what? are disrespectful, or, and here's the important one, so I'm going to need you to stop fixating on the fact that it bans double-meaning, even I'm though that's, a, that's just a super thing. legitimate thing to fixate on. I I'm get fixated it. on that. But the point of this story is that they also added, are satanic in nature, end quote. And needless to say, Satanic is a goddamn religion, and they're not allowed to ban those. No. So local Satanist Joseph Rose set about getting that handbook changed, and after much diligence, apparently he just finally did. Yeah, they got rid of the phrase satanic in nature from the handbook. But you still can't have shirts with, like, homonyms well, on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, of course, the homonym has a triple meaning or more. Oh, right. And, I want to meet the kid who pulls off that challenge on that technicality. I'll set up a goddamn scholarship for that kid. They refuse, refuse, and refuse. There's something and which there. board, which, uh, okay. Okay, but, but here's the great thing. This is just like a bunch of idiots at a school board meeting being like, don't wear rock shirts. And some guy showed up and was like, I hear you were talking about my boy C. Tizzle. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's have a conversation about my Lord and Savior, the oh, goat demon. Damn it. <laughs> so, yeah, to be clear, Satanism is a religion. It's it's a non-theistic one, right? They don't believe in Satan and they don't scrawl pentagrams with their own blood. But, and here's the important part, none of that fucking matters. As Rose himself told the local ABC affiliate, quote, the idea that a public school would allow religious expression in school but choose to single out and prohibit the expression of one specific religion obviously seems like a problem for us, end quote. And the fact that the only untrue word in that sentence is apparently obviously really <laughs> underscores just how deeply ingrained Christian privilege is in this fucking culture. And quick, while that's still echoing in the air, we're going to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. You should have voted for Hillary Clinton. And when we come back, we'll take a trip to the only thing less deserving of its you than Liberty University. Okay, turn over the sign back to zero. It's got to go back to zero. That's fine. <laughs> Zero's my favorite. <laughs> that sign. Thanks to our sister show, God Awful Movies, the recommendations on my streaming services are fucked. Amazon, Netflix, and Hulu all seem to think, with good cause, that I want to spend the rest of the year watching persecution fetish pieces about the war on Christmas. But in fairness, <laughs> we haven't quite fucked my YouTube recommendations yet, which we're rectifying a bit this week with another god-awful mini. So tell us, Heath, what will we be breaking down today? We watched Why God is a He by Dennis Prager. From Prager University. It's the story of Dennis Prager. <laughs> <laughs> and his perfectly rational obsession with God's penis. And Eli, <laughs> how bad was this mini? Well, if you've been kicked out of Wendy's once again for screaming, God has a cock, damn it, a cock. <laughs> <laughs> and the only university you could get into was YouTube. You will love this video. I know this is a Wendy's. I come here a long time. Yeah, I right. do this a lot. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. 
So we're going to start off stating the question, obviously. Why is God referred to as a he in the Bible? (laughs) So Dennis Prager wants a non-binary God who goes by they, them. My curiosity was piqued at this moment with his start. (laughs) Right. Well, it's, it's not so much that he wants it. It's that God's maleness is, in his words, quote, one of the criticisms many people make against the Bible, end quote. What? Is that one of the criticisms people make of the Bible? <laughs> As professional Bible criticizers, I feel like my work is being yeah, attacked exactly. a little bit. Right? Yeah, I was like, well, that, when did we get around to that? There was so much more material. But, of course, Dennis has the answer. It's because, contrary to every appearance, apparently, the Bible is, and I quote, preoccupied with making a kinder, less violent, more just world, end quote. Okay, my curiosity is no longer peaked. Yeah, <laughs> didn't last long. He sees men as kind, nonviolent, and just. No, Heath, he has a point. You see, the back of the original Bible said, not. So it really is. <laughs> Psych. Bible end. <laughs> well, and then he risks a lot of his audience by insisting that God isn't actually male or female, which is, I mean... Technically, that's true. (laughs) God is not. But not because, as Dennis asserts, God transcends gender. God doesn't verb anything. Yeah. Nope. nope. (laughs) (laughs) But Prager explains that the Bible writers had three choices on how to depict God's gender. He says they could choose, quote, masculine, he, feminine, she, or neuter, it. I'm sorry. Did they, Dennis? The authors of the yeah. Bible only had three choices. <laughs> they, they, they did. They only. They did. Mm-hmm. But then, quick before the transphobics click away, he rules out gender-neutral pronouns because, uh, well, but because first of all, gross. But but secondly, he claims that there are no gender-neutral terms in Hebrew. Okay, pretty sure non-gendered nouns do exist in Hebrew. God, for example, you just said moments ago <laughs> that God transcends. Gender. They have a word for God, right? He also says that the word it doesn't exist in Hebrew, and it definitely does. (laughs) Well, so, okay, admitting I know virtually nothing about this beyond a quick Google, I believe Hebrew is one of the languages where every noun has a gender, and there's like even a male and a female version of of they, but I think gender non-binary people who, who speak Hebrew just switch out their pronouns as they see fit. But it's important to keep in mind that, like, we're not reading it in Hebrew. Right. Right. So like right or wrong, this is still fucking meaningless. Very meaningless. He also explains that we have to be able to relate to God and who the fuck can relate to non-gender binary entities. Am I right? Totally. Right. I get it. <sighs> yeah. But as if that's not reason enough, and clearly it isn't, he has an additional three part reason. Three? Oh, I was hoping he would have three more parts. <laughs> yes, no, because so, he needs some shit to fly around, some words to fly around the screen at him. First is the fact that the Bible's primary concern is making a good world. Well, the second time around. The second world, yeah. <laughs> and w- what an incredible admission of failure it is, by the way, to say that that was the goal, right? Like, <laughs> the fact that the New Testament even exists kind of makes that a. A uh, useless fuck up out of their God, doesn't it? So, would you say he's crushing it right now? Yeah. God? He's nailing it. Anyway, he carries that thought on by pointing out that, quote, two, a good world can only be achieved by making good people. Again, version 2.0 of people. He killed all yeah. of version one. Also, like, I feel like <laughs> the omnipotent guy has 
way more options than Dennis is letting on. But here's the conclusion, and get ready for an amazing conclusion. Quote, three, the people who commit nearly all the world's violence are males. End quote. Okay, one correct answer from Dennis Prager. Look at that. Broken clock, everybody. We did it. Yeah, but the key is the real reason that the Bible made God a man is because it, the Bible is so feminist. He points out that, quote, it is in both men and women's interest to depict God in the masculine, end quote. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the women of the world, they really appreciate finally being told what's in their best interest. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, the women. I'm Dennis Prager. <laughs> I'm Dennis Prager. Well, okay, but his point, it's not that men need to know God is capable of violence. I know that's what it sounds like, but he's going a different way. His point is that young boys aren't going to listen to some vagina-wielding lady god about rules. And as we all know, Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, uh, they had two atheist moms. All right. of them all had of them, two all atheist them. moms. They are also atheists. Yep, it's also why single atheist moms only raise murder rapists. Typical. <laughs> yeah, well, and then he goes full, did you know that Frederick Douglass was actually a Republican on us? And points out that even Barack Hussein Obama agrees with him. <laughs> Not really, but here's what he says. In 2008, Obama made a speech where he pointed out that fathers matter. So, same thing, basically. Okay, are we playing with Barack Obama is correct about stuff? That's pretty good. You, you sure you want to go with that? Did Barack Obama say anything about anything else ever, politics-wise? Cut. Yeah, right. And cut. Right. Well, and to be clear, the Obama quote that he pulls out in support of his point is just a statistic about how kids with a stable father figure are less likely to wind up in jail. As though there was nothing else significant that separated single-parent households from two-income, I mean two-parent households. <laughs> no, I get it. Okay, what we need to do is rub the money on the single moms and their kids do better in school. Yeah. I understand this correlation. Trust yeah, me, it exactly. actually is. You've got to rub it. Ancient Hebrew didn't have plurals. Yes, it did. <laughs> <All right. laughs> well, now, to be clear, he's not comparing the statistics of, like, just moms versus just dads, which is the only way this could even theoretically be meaningful in the why depict God as male discussion. It's single moms versus two parent households. But despite the disingenuousness of those stats, he summarizes them as young men cannot possibly absorb complex moral dictates like don't murder and don't steal unless they hear a man say it. Okay, just to review, the male God came up with a world that has some child abuse, murder, and rape. That mm -hmm. the Goldilocks zone was non-zero for that stuff, omnipotent God. Yeah. Yep. Also, his list of ten rules did not include the not raping, which I'm just going to say, a lady God probably would have prioritized over having no other gods before me twice on the same <laughs> list. Twice. Or, or three times, depending on how you read it, yeah. Well, and, and then he undercuts his own fucking point by claiming that a masculine God in the Bible can substitute for a father in real life, which means that those Obama stats either disprove his point or come exclusively from non-Christian, non-Abrahamic households. He's comparing apple and oranges. He doesn't understand that that's what he's doing. Right, right. But quick before any of that can occur to you, he turns this point into what I think is a veiled threat. Quote, any discomfort you might feel with a masculine depiction of God is not comparable to the pain we feel if boys are not civilized into good men. If God was just some fucking lady, we'd all be like, fuck her, murder! What? <laughs> yep. Really? 
I have never wished that God existed, but just for Dennis Prager's sake, I will take one lady God. One. <laughs> right. But just yeah, for just Dennis Prager. Once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's also this weird bit where he points out that the whole thing where God is like nice wouldn't work if he was a lady because obviously ladies are compassionate. But if a man sees a man God do it or hears about one doing it forthhand from a historical record full of known verifiable lies, he'll emulate it. You see, oh, uh, see, I've always wondered why I grew up wanting to kill all the Ammonites. And now yeah. I know <laughs> from the well, OK, so lest you think that we're exaggerating. Listen to the like prerequisite sexism in this quote, quote, if God were depicted as female, young men would deem traits such as compassion, mercy and care for the downtrodden as feminine and would not identify with them. But if God, their father in heaven, who is strong, on occasion, even a warrior, cares for the poor and loves justice, mercy, and kindness, then these traits are also masculine and to be emulated. Okay, again, how would you say that's working out, Dennis Prager? Good? Right. Is God nailing it? Do you really think that's going well? <laughs> would you say he's known for his merciful nature? Right, yeah. Or, uh, I don't know, maybe his son-murdering nature. A lot, a lot of son-murdering. <laughs> And, and by the way, if you're thinking that girls also need female role models, you're wrong, okay? <laughs> and I honestly think he's trying to imply that it's because we can pop them in the mouth if they get uppity. He says, quote, of course girls need female role models, but not to avoid violence, end quote. Okay, well, what if we have another god who's female? Get the fuck out! This is serious. <laughs> who said that? Okay, wait. He says, of course girls need female role models.